Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry. I thought that would be hyperbolic if she said that, but I guess that's pretty awesome. Okay, here we go. I mean, it is, but probably <laughs> yeah, intentionally yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> hold on. I just got a cramp in my leg. <laughs> <laughs> it's a demonic presence again. Uh, I'm, just, I'm not used to sitting for so long in this position. Giving you cramps in your legs for a yeah. better tomorrow. <laughs> You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where Single Banana and I, Grey Ghost 81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and played by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter. Every episode features input from the community and maybe some guests. In episode 52, we're joined by forum member and site blogger Zofar53 to discuss the 2016 reboot of Doom, a game which saw much hype and critical acclaim. Was it well-deserved, or is this just an overrated first-person shooter that is better left in hell? Tune in to find out. You can listen to our show on iTunes and Podbean, where we always appreciate good reviews. On Twitter, we're at RFG Playcast, and Rich is at The Single Banana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to RFGeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. When it's time to party, we will party hard. So, Rich, we haven't had a guest on the show in quite a while. I know. We've been really selfish, right? <laughs> <laughs> Keeping everything to ourselves. 
Yeah, totally. But you had the great idea to, to invite Zofar53. Can we call you Travis or you want to go Zofar53 or? No, Travis is fine. I, I started putting my real name on my articles like a year ago. So, <laughs> Excellent. Well, go ahead and introduce yourself. Most of our listeners are going to know you from the site uh, RF Generation as a front page blogger. But, uh, you know, let us know a little bit about yourself. Yeah, as I started writing for the site, uh, I think it's about two years ago now. Yeah, I've been gaming since I was eight years old. Just fell in love with it at a young age and never really stopped. I play all kinds of games, not much sports games. The occasional sports game I do play, it's I prefer the arcadey style. But yeah, just other than that, all kinds of games. I, I'm a big fan of video game music. And yeah, that's that's about it. Gaming-wise, unlike a lot of people on the site, I don't necessarily collect for like to get complete sets or anything like that. I really just try to get a hold of a copy of any game that I find interesting or unique or fun that I might want to play someday, regardless of what system it's on or how old it is. So that's kind of my collecting style. Yeah, and Travis has a very interesting presence on our site. He uh, actually joined, I believe, after we had a call for writers. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. You put out the call and I believe there were like two other people that you brought on along with me at that time. Yeah. We needed some writers. We had a few that left and uh, I put out a call on the site and actually out on social media. And Travis was really the only person that's ever joined that was a non-member before becoming a part of the writing staff. So that's kind of cool, you know, to uh, bring you in. And you were doing some writing for some other sites as well, right? Yeah. Um, I've I've been writing kind of semi-professionally since I was a teenager. Um, I used to work at a movie theater when I was like 13, 14. So I started, <laughs> my family had their own family blog website. So I used to write movie reviews because uh, I got to see free movies at work. And then I, uh, the older I got, the more I wrote and the better my writing got. Um, and then I started writing for a couple friends of mine. They had a video game site that they had started up some like five, six years ago. Um, and they brought me on there. That site was called Pixel Perfect. It was strictly video games. We didn't have a whole lot of following, but we had just enough of a following to where we all got to go to E3 that year, which was a huge dream come true for all of us. Uh, that's but, cool. Uh, yeah. Um, Pixel Perfect no longer exists, I'm afraid, but uh, we started a new site called The Grown Up Geek. Um, and there my role expanded to like movie reviews and other kinds of things. And then that kind of fell apart after about a year, year and a half. And I actually was a member of RF Gen for some time before I came on as a writer, but I wasn't a huge participant in the forums or the conversations or anything like that until I came on as a writer. And then I started participating more and, and starting to get to know all you guys in the community. So it's been really great. And you also started a movie club on the site. And we've talked yeah. about it on the show several times. Yeah. Uh, what do we have? Like eight, nine months worth of episodes, something like that, or, or articles, video game movies. That could be movies based on an actual video game. It could be movies that just kind of use the idea of video games as part of the plot, not necessarily based on an actual game. Just kind of a whole range of different video game movies. And the response was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it has been. And uh, Sean, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Travis and I have something in common that you and I don't. You know what oh, that is? No, I do not know. I'm intrigued. We've actually met each other before. Okay. 
Last year at uh, Retro World Expo, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Travis and hanging out with him for a while and uh, introducing him to a lot of the guys on the site, and uh, we had an absolute blast. So, uh, yeah, it was great meeting him, and uh, hope we get to hang out some more in the future. Are you going this year, Travis? I am, yeah. Um, it, it was super cool last year. I was a little apprehensive about meeting everybody, because, like... It seemed like all you guys had known each other for quite some time. A lot of you had even met in person before. And usually I'm at my most awkward when (laughs) I'm meeting a group of people who already know each other. But because we already had a shared love of old video games and everybody was just so welcoming, it was very easy to take part in the conversations because we all had that base in common. Everybody was super welcoming and friendly and it was really awesome. So I was excited to be able to come again this year. Awesome. I'm not making it out this year. Uh, no. So I'm on the every other year program. I hate it, but uh, yeah, definitely will be there the following year. So uh, 2019 be great. Nice. Hey, maybe 2019 will be the year I finally make it out. No promises. <laughs> Absolutely, man. But, you should. Yeah, have, you not, I, have you not been to one before? No, not yet. I'm from the East Coast, so if I still lived in New Jersey, I could actually drive there, but now I live in Texas, so it's... Uh, oh, yeah, that's a haul. I'd have to get on a plane to do it, Definitely. so... Yeah. It was nice being there, because I got to be there, Rich, when you got your um, last NES game. Oh, yeah, Little Samson, that's right, yeah, you were there. I was there. Yeah, that was that really was, cool. That was pretty neat. Well, since we're talking about, uh, Travis, you started the RF Cinema Club... I gave you guys some homework for this show, and I uh, gave you a little short list of movies to watch. I think I got a D minus on the homework already. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's about where I'm at. I looked them up. I read the descriptions. They all sounded really neat. I added them to my Netflix queue, but uh, I have not actually watched them yet. All right. Well, that's not a problem. I I'll just go over them real quick as quick recommendations then. I will say that the genesis of this idea was that my wife and I took our first vacation in such a long time that our last vacation was to Austin, Texas in 2014, which is where we live now. So um, it was about time for another, you know, to take some time off. And we went to the Gulf Coast of Texas and got to see the ocean for the first time in a very long time. And uh we Airbnb'd this little house and hung out, and it did rain a couple of nights that we were there, so we watched a bunch of movies on Netflix and just happened to find some good ones. So the first one is called Tau, and it's spelled T-A-U, and this one features the lead actress from It Follows, who I forgot to write her name down, but she's a really good actress, and um, it's basically she gets kidnapped by this guy who's trying to design an AI and he needs to like cultivate parts of people's brains to build the AI. And it's very like schlocky sci-fi. But one of the things I loved about it was the special effects were very, without a doubt they were CG, but they didn't look CG. They almost looked stop motion-y. Like they really reminded me of RoboCop and RoboCop 2. And uh, yeah, it really jumped out at me like that aspect of that movie. So it's not a great movie. It's also not so bad that it's good. It kind of falls into like, wow, like that was pretty cool. Like not, not a masterpiece, but that was a little cool little flick. You know what I mean? So I would recommend that one. The next one we saw was called The Ritual. And this is actually just a really good horror movie. Rich, I think you would really like this one. It's about a bunch of guys who 
they go into the woods of, uh, I don't know, like Denmark or Sweden or some Nordic country. They go into the forest like as a remembrance thing to a friend that they lost. But then they find this house and things just go off the rails from there as any good horror movie would. And by the end, it, it was just very harrowing. And there's some really good effects in that one, too. Just a really short and sweet, good horror movie that you guys would probably like. And the last one, this movie I saw because it got a lot of buzz, uh, was called The Vault. And that that has James Franco in it. And it's about a bank robbery that kind of goes awry. <laughs> All these movies about something that just kind of goes awry or goes unexpected. But uh, there's a bank robbery and James Franco is this like bank manager person. And he kind of does this like psychological control of the bank robbers where he leads them into danger in the bank vault it was a pretty cool movie um like i said it got a lot of buzz i don't know if it was worth all the hype it got but i was glad to have watched it it sounds neat i'm not a huge james franco fan but uh, i do like a fun heist flick so that could be neat you know it's funny james franco just kind of grows on me every time i see him in something i i think I like him a lot, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I've ever seen him in something where it's like, oh, he sucked in that, you know? So, sure. Um, I'm sure you don't like him as much as my wife does. Oh, yeah, she's into <laughs> yeah. Well, you should watch this movie with her. I think you both would enjoy it then. And then lastly, Rich, I wanted to kind of follow up because when we did the Transformers episode with Buried on Mars, we mentioned that Oh, it'd be really cool if they made a Toys That Made Us episode on the Transformers. So lo and behold, they came out with, um, I don't know if you'd call it season two or season 0.5 or whatever, but the they're next... calling it season two. On, oh, OK. Uh, Netflix. OK. Yeah. 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 So the second the next four episodes came out and they did Star Trek, Transformers, Lego and Hello Kitty. And I've only watched the Lego and the Transformers ones, but... Um, Those are the only two I saw, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the Transformers. That's the only one so far in the second season. Okay, cool. I just, I thought it was cool that we had mentioned that. We kind of requested it out into the heavens, and then Netflix bestowed upon us the Transformers episode that we were asking for. So I liked it, and I think we were talking about this on DMs, Rich, but I was co- really confused, actually, at the origins mm-hmm. of Transformers. So I have this like Rolodex in my head of the cartoons from when I was a kid and which ones are Western and which ones are Japanese. And for some reason, I thought Transformers was actually a Western production. I think I had it confused with Thundercats. I mean, G.I. Joe is the obvious one, but I think I was just blurring the lines between my properties. You know what I mean? So to see that Transformers is just like you were saying in in our messages, just straight up carbon copied of Japanese toys, basically. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They basically just put a, an Autobot and Decepticon sticker on these Transformers that were already made by a Japanese company. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away because I want people to watch it, but Hasbro basically gave this Japanese company G.I. Joe to market, and then they returned the favor by giving Hasbro USA Transformers, right? Yeah, that sounds familiar. I didn't realize as a kid how Japanese it was, but if you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense because it was kind of descended from like anime and Gundam type stuff. Yeah, exactly. I really like the way they positioned the episode. I was a little leery at first about how they started talking about how these toy robots sort of started out being made in Japan. But when you think about those little kind of wind-up toy robots, you do realize 
that that's where they came from, that area. And uh, I didn't know how they were going to piece that together and push that into talking about Transformers. But they did a fantastic job with it. It's a great, great episode. Also, I didn't realize that GoBots actually came out a few months before Transformers did in the States. I didn't either, yeah. I, th- I thought GoBots came later. Yeah, I do remember GoBots always being like kind of the second fiddle to Transformers. I, I think I only had a couple of those. Because they were like, they were small, you know? They were like the size of Hot Wheels. So Transformers were always bigger and more robust of, of a toy. So they kind of make that clear in the show, too. It's kind of funny the way they make fun of it almost yeah and and gobots weren't nearly as clever as in with ingenuity as the transformers were and just in terms of the mechanics of how they would transform right right so let me ask you this question since we did a prediction of what was going to be in season two of the toys that made us with transformers what would you like to see in season three uh i'm trying to think of something that was just like i don't know just like something that caught on really big yeah, what if they did like Pogs or something? Oh, you that's know, pretty good. Something less action figure focused, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking maybe Voltron or Thundercats or something like that. Might be two good lines to do. Though I don't know how big Thundercats was, but I remember Voltron being pretty big when I was a kid. I, I think Thundercats is one of the most popular, yeah. Yeah, that was the biggest one to me, man. That was always my favorite as a kid. Although, did you guys see uh, Lego is actually coming out with a Voltron Lego set in a couple weeks? Oh, wow. It's pretty cool. I, I may have to buy that. All right. So, Travis, now it's time for one of our fan favorite sections of the show, uh, <laughs> known as the Concert Cast, where we talk about concert tickets that we bought that we're excited about. So, three or four months from now, we can talk about how good the concerts were. <laughs> <laughs> And I only bring this up because I actually had in succession three exceedingly more exciting sets of tickets come my way that either somebody bought for me or that I bought. The first show that I'm going to is MXPX. Do you guys remember this band? No, I'm not familiar. No. So MXPX is like a California... No, I, I actually don't think they're from California, but they get lumped in with the California pop punk bands. They're actually from Seattle, I remember now. They were like the counterpart to Blink-182 at the time, like a little bit more serious. Like just think of them like with that Blink-182 Green Day, late 90s kind of pop punk sound. So I was never a huge fan of them, but um, I always liked their music. And my friend Corey, friend of the show, designer for our logo, he grabbed some tickets because they're one of his old favorite bands. So that was pretty cool. The next thing I grabbed tickets for was Andrew WK. (laughs) (laughs) And I am stoked on this show because I love Andrew WK and Party Hard has been on my running iPod that I take running for the past, I don't know, 10 years or something. And it's never coming (laughs) off because it's just pure energy yeah. And I got to shout out Andrew WK for his newest album. It's called You're Not Alone. And it is, man, like Rich, when we used to talk about Kishibashi, how his music is just so uplifting and positive and it just fills your spirit with just warmth and happiness. Like this new album from Andrew WK is so motivational and positive and the lyrics are just, they just make you want to jump out of your seat and just go fly away and take over the world and he has these like little monologues in between the songs that are just like 
I mean, if you're in a bad place, he'll pull you out of it. Like, it's just a beautiful, beautiful album. So I'm really excited for this show. Are you guys into Andrew of the UK or what? Oh, yeah, totally. I, I've never seen him live, but I would love to see him live. I've never listened to the music that much myself, but uh, I, I do remember him uh, having some stints on Jackass from time to time, which is kind of great. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. uh, and another fun fact, our buddy Russ Lyman actually opened up for him one time. Uh, oh, wow. When he was younger. Yeah, Russ used to be in a band, and I actually saw this, I guess it was probably around a month ago, Russ had posted something on his Twitter feed, and uh, it was about missing being in a band and would enjoy doing that again, and uh, uh, reminiscing about some of the uh, people that they opened up for, and uh, Andrew WK was one, and a few other very popular bands from that time were, but I can't remember who those actually were. Well, that's awesome, and shout out to Russ, friend of the show former guests on the show i also really miss being in a band so i feel for you there buddy i sometimes take out my guitar and play some songs but uh there's nothing like jamming with a bunch of people so maybe someday i'll get back into that but i will wrap up now the concert cast segment of our show with my final and most exciting tickets that i bought is a group called caro caro bonito have either one of you heard of these guys no. <laughs> okay. That's a great name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Caro Caro Bonito is a British pop band. It's the singer Sarah Bonito and two men, Gus and Jamie, and they play pop music that is unlike any pop music you've ever heard before. Man, I don't know how to explain it. It's just fun and cutesy. They have songs about food, songs about uh, they have a song called Trampoline, which is like one of my favorite songs of all time, just about jumping on a trampoline. But it's so, they make it so poignant and cute at the same time. And being that they're from the UK, they don't tour the States a lot, of course. And the last time they were in Austin was like two years ago. So they were on my bucket list of like, I don't care where they play, how much it costs. Like, if KKB comes to Austin, <laughs> me and all of my friends are going to see them. So, as soon as I saw that announcement in my email, I, I texted it to all my friends. I was like, oh my God, guys, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> so, uh, and it happened to be at, at a venue that we like. So it wasn't like we had to go to some weird place we don't want to go or some arena or something. It's at a place called the Barracuda, which is, I've been there a few times. I saw Shonen Knife there the, the one time I talked about. And uh, oh man, I got my tickets like as soon as they went on sale. And I'm so stoked about that. So yeah, so this concludes the uh, the concert cast segment. Uh, <laughs> oh, now wait, are you not going to give me a chance to talk? Oh, did say, you get? Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I I thought I was alone here in scoring tickets, Rich. I'm sorry about that. And Travis, of course, if you got anything, jump in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Rich, what do you got? Well, I just wanted to mention that this week I'm going to see the Pixies and Weezer. So uh, yeah, I'll be reporting back on that. So that's going to be fun. And then I'm thinking about getting some tickets to a guy that I've really been into recently. It's more of the uh, alt-country kind of stuff again. So have you guys heard of the band Drive-By Truckers? You know this band or you know at least have no. some idea of who they are? I've heard of them. Yeah, well, I'm not a big fan of Drive-By Truckers at all. They're sort of like Southern Rock Band, but one of their members several years ago had a falling out with the band 
uh, had some issues with alcohol and stuff like that, and got sober and made a comeback. And uh, he's put out a few albums, a guy named Jason Isbell. If you've never listened to any of his stuff, I highly recommend checking it out. He's been touted as one of the best lyricists alive today. And uh, he and a, and a band called The 400 Unit just put out a new album called The Nashville Sound. And even if you don't like country music, I highly suggest that you listen to this. Check out a track called If We Were Vampires. Uh, really good song and uh, kind of one of those songs, man, that almost make you cry. It's so uh, passionate, you know, kind of knowing his history. So I think we're going to try to get tickets for him for September and then my buddy reminded me the other day that our Bone Thug tickets had gotten moved to <laughs> September. And so we're going to go see Bone Thug, maybe. Uh, caveat, he was over at my house this weekend. And he's like, yeah, don't forget Bone Thug is coming up on this date. And his wife was like, well, you know that's our youngest kid's birthday. He's like, yeah, I'm aware of that. <laughs> so I could or could not be going to see Bone Thugs in Harmony. So we'll see how that plays out. But, eh, t- uh, take a kid with you. It'll be fine. I'm sure. It'll oh, be fine. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen Bone Thugs like years and years and years ago. Oh, um, wow. Nice. I was going to a concert. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of Twisted, but they actually opened up for Twisted down at uh, one of the venues here in Cleveland. So um, that was that was a pretty decent show. Very good. Well, do you have any plans or did you score any tickets? Any upcoming shows you want to share with everybody? I don't have any tickets currently, but uh, two did pop up on my radar recently that I'm pretty excited for. Uh, They're both in November. Uh, The first is Paul Oakenfold. Um, I'm I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, he's a big trance DJ. Um, He's not nearly as popular now as he was in the 90s. But I've seen him a couple times now, and he still puts on a great show. So I'm I'm probably going to see him. Yeah, I used to be a raver kid, so yeah, definitely know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, break out the glow sticks. Yeah, <laughs> and then the other one uh, is is uh, VNV Nation. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. They're more of like an industrial goth, dancey, trance type group. Real big in like the goth clubs and in the, in the industrial scene, but it's like uh, you were saying, Sean, about uh, your band. It's just like really uplifting music, uh, and, and the lyrics are just they start in kind of a dark place, but then they're always so uplifting. A lot of their lyrics and their songs are about just like learning from troubled times and and surpassing that, and just they put you in a really happy mood. So and it's great to dance to. They're one of the bands that I come to see pretty much every time they come to Cleveland. Uplifting goth music. Man, that seems <laughs> like an oxymoron. <laughs> it's, it's rare, but it does exist. <laughs> I'll have to check that out sometime. It's, uh, awesome. They put on a great show because uh, they're one of those bands that are really good about crowd interaction and getting the fans into it and excited. I hate it when I go to a show and the band just kind of ignores the crowd. That's kind of crappy. So that's it. All right. Well, before we move into news, I have a a tiny bit of uh, housekeeping that could kind of count as news. And that is that I was on the fence about doing this for a long time, but then something kind of happened. Let's just say I witnessed something happening that pushed me over the edge and I deleted my personal Twitter. And I am exclusively using the at RFG Playcast Twitter account, which may have seen pretty dormant. Uh, Rich and I were both kind of controlling it and tweeting off of it every once in a while to announce a game or announce that the podcast went live or something, you know. But basically, long story short is I'm going to use it as my personal account, but I will keep it limited to video game related stuff because 
That's one of the reasons I wanted to delete my personal account is because I was following over 2,000 other accounts and I was seeing uh, just the poisonous, toxic side of Twitter that people talk about a lot and just getting bogged down in, into it, kind of addicted to it. And uh, I needed to get out of that. So now it's really beautiful. I log into Twitter and I, I just see all of our friends and then I see some of the people that we're fans of, but it's all just video game related and it's really peaceful and beautiful. So it's been a really good thing for me <laughs> on a personal level. And I think it's going to be a really good thing for this show and for the playcast at large. So if you want to tweet at us, tweet at, at RFG playcast, make sure you go follow that. And uh, I will be more active there. I think it's going to be a good thing all around. Yeah. So moving on to some site news, I'll pass it over to you, Rich. Absolutely. I first want to mention the shmup pick for August. That's out now. That's Raiden 5. That's for the PS4. And so members and non-members of the site should definitely join us for some shmup action in August. And then in Playcast news, I wanted to announce that we actually did voting for our December golf championship. Travis, I don't know if you know about this or not. We have already decided to do a like a team golf event in December of this year. And so we wanted to go ahead and start getting that together so that we can kind of pick games. And then also we can kind of break up into teams in November. We started off with a list of people who had shown interest in playing in this. And what we did was we came up with a list of all these different golf games and we sort of did this vote where we would say, okay, your favorite game, list that as one and then your least favorite game, list that as 10 or 12 or whatever number we went to. So the three games with the lowest score, just like in golf, were picked. So those titles are Neo Turf Masters, Mario Golf Toadstool Tour for the GameCube, and then Hot Shots 4 for the PS2. So just curious, what do you guys think about those titles? I have not heard of the first one, but I am aware of the second two. Those sound cool. Yeah. Neo Turf Masters is actually available on the Switch. It's a download on the Switch. It oh, was okay. a part of uh, like the Neo Geo cabinet systems. Oh, okay. That's why I haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a really great game, and it actually won the voting. Everyone wanted to play it. And then there's um, SNK Arcade Classics Volume 1. And that's available on the PS2 and on the Wii. Neo Turf Masters is a part of that collection, so you could play it that way as well. Okay, cool. I've just started getting back into golf games because a golf story just came out on Switch not too long ago, and I've been dabbling in that a little bit. It's It's been pretty fun, so that sounds neat. Yeah, man, you should definitely sign up for it on the site and uh, play with us in December. Yeah, I'll have to look into that, definitely. As the rain came down my window, I heard the wind blow all around. I was stuck under the weather, felt like forever out of the sun. But then I looked in my garden and saw at the bottom my old trampoline. That's when I knew what to do, I could break right on through, yeah, the clouds are so high. First you fall down, then you jump back up again, find your rhythm, momentum is the key, it's so easy, anyone can trampoline, so jump in off the new, see the whole world. 
So why don't we roll on into pickups? Travis, you're the guest here. Why don't you tell us what you've uh, scored in the last couple of weeks or so? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, like I said before, uh, pick up some retro stuff here and there, but a lot of my more recent pickups have been more uh, recent. Um, but I did pick up a few notable things. Uh, I'm not sure how many months ago it was, maybe six, seven months ago. I, I wrote a review on the site for this PS3 game called Puppeteer. You play this little marionette puppet and all the sets are just kind of wheeled in like a theater set. It's just really cool, really charming platformer. I bought it digitally when it first came out. I've never owned a physical copy, but I recently found a copy at my local used media store for 9 bucks. So that was a pretty good pickup. I think around the same time, I was able to find a copy of a Super Princess Peach for the DS. It's a loose cart, which I don't usually like to buy, but uh, I don't see that cart super often. So I wanted to snag it up once I saw it. And then just a few weeks ago, I was wandering around my local... Uh, do you guys have Micro Center in your parts of the country? No. No. Micro Center is a computer hardware store. They, they remind me kind of uh, CompUSA when they were around. It's kind of like CompUSA, except it's great because every time you walk in the door of Micro Center, it's like you're transported back to 1994. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was wandering around their game section and I found a brand new copy of Assassin's Creed Origins for 25 bucks. So I picked that up. Um, and then I had read the article, I think it was Sean, you wrote it, on Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You wrote a piece kind of defending it. So I went searching after reading your article, and I found it on Amazon for 10 bucks. It's like, okay. So I picked that up. Oh, cool. Thank you for uh, taking my recommendation. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I don't know when I'm ever going to get around to playing it, but I have it. <laughs> and then uh, probably the, the most significant one is I finally got an NES Classic. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I was pretty upset with how Nintendo handled that whole situation when they first came out a couple of years ago. Like, I tried to get one when they first came out, but I didn't want to wait in line for hours at my store and call every store in my area every week. So I was just like, you know what? Screw it. If I can ever buy one just walking into a store, then I'll get one. And I follow several uh, uh, video game sale accounts on Twitter. So I was just at work one day, just looking at Twitter in the bathroom, as one does, and one of those sites posted something about, hey, uh, GameStop has NES Classics on sale. So I clicked it, figuring that, well, they'll probably be sold out by the time I check out. But uh, no, I got all the way through the checkout process and, and got my NES Classic and said, well, they'll probably cancel my order before it ships. But uh, no, a week and a half later, they sent me a shipping confirmation and, and I finally got one. So it's, it's pretty cool. Now, is this the most recent run of those? Yes. Yeah, it is the second run. So Yeah, people have been putting up a lot of pictures and stuff. You know, Walmart and Target and places like that, they seem to be fairly readily available right now. So I guess that's a good thing, though, if I was one of those people that spent $200 plus on one during that first run, where people were poaching them on eBay, I'd be pretty upset. Yeah, there was no way I was ever going to do that. Yeah, Forget that. I mean, they're basically all emulated games anyways. Basically, what you're paying is like legit copies of games on a little teeny tiny Nintendo. Yeah. So. I thought about maybe buying one for the kids just to put on their um, TV in the playroom that they watch their kids' movies and stuff on just so that they would have something to mess around with and, you know, be kind of cool to watch them play some retro games. There you go. Yeah. My only gripe with that thing, though, is like the cord is like super short. So it's like, yeah, I've heard that. 
And I understand it's hard to find extra controllers as well. Yeah. I mean, they sell uh, little Bluetooth adapters for those now. So uh, that's pretty much it for my pickups. Cool. Rich, what about you? Oh, man. Uh, I've had some pretty crazy pickups recently. Uh, one very notable that I'll save for last. But um, more recently, I picked up a few 2600 games. I, I don't buy these often or don't find many that I don't have often. And so I grabbed copies of Gas Hog and uh, China Syndrome, which are SpectraVision games. I like to kind of collect in these little subsets where there's no way I can physically go for a 2600 or not physically, but more financially go for a 2600 complete set. And so I will pick certain sets like Activision that I want to complete or US games. And so I, I wanted to fill in some holes in my SpectraVision set and uh, grab those two games. Unfortunately, my copy of Gas Hog, when I tried to put it into my 2600, the screen would not stop rotating. So I soon realized that the copy I had was a PAL copy. And uh, I was a little upset because I saw no returns because I gotten it off eBay. I actually sent in a request to have it returned. And the seller was kind enough to do it because they did not list in their listing that it was a PAL copy. Now, part of me is kind of like they were just trying to sell this game at a good price, really cheap and kind of push it off as the wrong thing. But looking into it, what I've realized is that with certain games for the 2600, there's no way to tell unless you test them as to whether the games are PAL or they are North American copies. So he was kind enough to take it back. I did get my money back for it. A little disappointed I don't steal the game, but all's well in the end, and I'll keep searching for a copy of that. Also picked up a copy of Basic Programming for the 2600. I didn't have the variant with the picture label on it, so I was really stoked to get that. I grabbed a few Sega Genesis games, most notably uh, Sword of Sodan, Toki, Chikan, and I grabbed a complete inbox copy of Humans. Sean, you'll be excited about this, and I think I told you that I'd gotten this or posted on Twitter, but I actually got Life is Strange Before the Storm. Uh, nice. Which I'm really excited to check out. That's, Have you played that great. one yet, Travis? I'm kind of in the middle of Before the Storm. I played all the way through the first one and really, really liked it. Yeah, we played it one month as a playcast game, and uh, we really liked it a lot. So cool. I'm glad to hear you're enjoying that. I picked up a copy of Final Fantasy Legends 2 for the Game Boy. I traded in a lot of stuff and actually got that off of credit plus copies of Spider-Man 2 and Star Wars Dark Forces for the PS1. I've never seen Star Wars Dark Forces for the PS1. I, I feel like I always see that on N64. And because I don't really care to play N64, I kind of always pass on it, even though I hear it's a decent game. But I did see that it was on PS1, so I'm kind of excited to check that out. Have either of you played that one? I have, and, it, and it's funny you mentioned that, that you've never seen the uh, PS1 copy, because for me it's the opposite. Usually when I see that game in like a used media store, it's the PS1 copy, and I don't think I've ever seen the N64 copy. So Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's not on the 64, Rich. I think you might be confusing it with something else. So Dark Forces, this was originally like a Doom clone, like Star Wars game on the PC, and they ported it to the PS1, but it was not on the 64, so... Well, there's some game that has like the same label on the 64, which has like the stormtroopers like facing off. And I think I'm getting it mixed up with that game, but I think they have the same cover, which is kind of strange. That could be. I mean, I'm trying to place which one you're talking about, but, <laughs> but 
But there, there's a handful of Star Wars games on the 64, so could be any one of them. But yeah, I actually used to have a copy of that game. Uh, when I was on the aforementioned vacation here in 2014, I actually found a copy of it at a game store. And I held on to it for a little while, but I recently sold it. So that that's how I know about it. Yeah, it was a few bucks. I thought I'd go ahead and pick it up and, uh, you know, give it a shot. And with our recent play of Doom, you know, it kind of got me a little more interested in uh, first-person shooters. Oh, and I know what you're talking about now. I just looked it up. It's because the cartridge art on Shadows of the Empire for the 64. It. Yeah, it's yes. basically the, it's probably the same exact graphic, just kind of cropped down of one Stormtrooper. Uh, where the Dark Forces has three, and they just took one of these dudes and threw it on this label. But yeah, totally different game. That's where the confusion comes in. So there you go. Glad we could clear that up on the air. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure one of our listeners would have. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. And then the next thing I got, I got something in the mail in a nice pretty pink package from a buddy out in Texas. (laughs) Sean sent me a copy of SNK Arcade Classics for the PS2. Now, this is a game I already had on the Wii, but uh, uh, I don't know, man. I'm a little lazy when it comes to my Wii as far as like hooking it up and the, the motion bar and everything that goes with it. It just doesn't really sit up well in my game room. So Sean was asking if anyone needed a copy for the upcoming golf event. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a copy for PS2. I would probably rather play it on PS2 anyway. So uh, yeah, I grabbed a copy of that and uh, probably have my copy on the Wii up for sale before long. So uh, Travis, if you need it, let me know. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. I, I thought you were going to say like, that's not where I thought you were going with that. I thought you were going to say you're pretty lazy when it comes to playing your Wii. And it's like, all you do is move your wrists. <laughs> That's pretty darn lazy if you're too lazy to play a Wii. I'm pretty lazy, but not quite that lazy. Then the other things I picked up this Saturday, I actually sent a message to Sean. I went to a yard sale, which I haven't done in a long time. And the ad said that it was going to start at around 7 o'clock. And it mentioned that it had Atari games and it had Nintendo retro games. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Hopefully I'll be the first one to get there. So I got up at like 6.15, got there way too early. They had not set anything out yet. And I was hoping they might have some stuff set out. And I could be one of those annoying early bird people <laughs> before anyone else got there. So I just rode around the neighborhood. There was like five yard sales around the neighborhood and, uh, Ended up getting a um, an iPod for my kid for three bucks, which was pretty cool. And it works and everything. It's really nice, fully loaded with music. And then I circled my way back, and I did get there around 7 o'clock, and there was already a guy there going through the box of games. <laughs> I was like, oh, this stinks. So I kind of laid back until he was kind of finished going through getting what he wanted. But I was looking at it from a distance, and this box oddly enough, was filled with Famicom and Super Famicom stuff. Nice. There were like two Super Famicom systems, a Famicom system, and just a bunch of games, some loose and some complete. The guy before me picked up copies of Final Fight 2 and Final Fight 3 complete in box, which he got at what I thought was a good price. The guy was obviously a collector, and I actually told him about our website before I left. But um, he had the prices, you know, they were decent and and better than eBay, but I didn't get any screaming deals. But I did pick up for the the regular Famicom loose copies of Kirby and Metal Flame Cybuster, which I'd never played before, but it looked cool enough and it was cheap enough. And the guy told me it was a platformer. And so I grabbed both of those and uh, 
thought it was pretty cool. I sent pictures to our buddies on Slack, and I was like, hey, man, look, I just went to a yard sale. They're like, Famicom games in North Carolina? And I was like, yeah, oddly enough, it's pretty strange. Honestly, the first time I've ever seen Famicom games at a yard sale or even like really at like a flea market or anything like that in this area. So that was pretty cool. And then the final thing I picked up, I think I've mentioned on the show a few times, my neighbor's like really big in the arcade machines. And I just found out that my next door neighbor is also really big in the arcade machines. And so the three of us have kind of become uh, good friends and hang out quite a bit now. And uh, one of my neighbors has been selling off some of his games to get into some other hobbies that he's interested in. And he had an Atari Assault cabinet. And I don't know if this is a game that you guys have ever played, but I had gone over to his house several months ago and played it for the first time and uh, just sent him a message about what he was selling it for, if he'd be interested in selling it. And uh, he sent me a message that he was. And uh, yeah, I just got it like two days ago. So I'm really pumped about that. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Arcade machines are one of those things that, like, I've always said I would love to have, but mm-hmm. uh, if I'm honest with myself, I don't really have the room for it, and the amount of care and maintenance it would need, it's just like, uh, in practical terms, I probably wouldn't <laughs> have one. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is, knowing the guy I'm buying it from, and knowing how, like, well he keeps his arcade machines and things like that is kind of a comfort to me sure. and so which was kind of one of the reasons i did it plus he keeps sending me messages he's like oh these are kind of like my babies i really don't want to get rid of them but you know he's been getting rid of some pretty cool stuff recently but i think he's kind of happy to know that it's just like a few blocks down the road you know what i mean Skype is showing two in call. Um, well, I just got a text message from Rich because he said his um, his power is still out and he can't even send messages through the app that that he and I use. So he said, going to have to call it a night. Power and internet completely out. Send my apologies to Travis. Very sorry. So I just said, we're going to save our tracks and we'll pick it up when we can. So. Okay. Check, check. One, two. Testing, testing. Check. Hello. And Travis, you're in mono still, right? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I haven't touched the settings since then. Okay, good. All right, so Rich, you just said uh, it's cool to have a guy right down the street, and he's keeping it local. So I'll, I'll just take it from there. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, keep it local. So as for me, my uh, scores came once again from our good friend Stephen, former co-host, friend of the show, disposed hero. And uh, I had this book that I've had since I was a kid. It was like this Castlevania strategy guide. And 
I knew that it had kind of a rarity and a value to it. And I was thinking about selling it on eBay, but I know that Stephen has been collecting Castlevania stuff lately. So I reached out to him and we struck up a little deal for some games. And from him, I got Yakuza 6 and Hidden Agenda for the PS4. As of now, I have all the Yakuza games that have ever been released. You know, I'm probably going to try and keep that going when Kiwami 2 comes out. I'm not even paying attention. It might it might be out already. I'm I'm not sure about that, but I'll end up getting that one too. But yeah, I guess I'm a Yakuza completionist because I just love the series. And then Hidden Agenda is something that I've heard about. I don't know too much about it, but it's like a, a multiplayer game where you use your cell phone instead of a controller. So... I just thought it would be cool. It was a little cheapy thing I asked him to throw into the trade, and uh, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Yeah, Pam did a little review on that game, and uh, I actually picked that one up too for the wife and I to go through. Sort of like a uh, murder mystery game, which is, you guys know, I'm pretty much a fan of because I really liked Heavy Rain when we played it. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to check that out sometime. And I think it was a budget game anyway, right? Yeah, you can buy it brand new for like 12 bucks on Amazon, so... Yeah, I mean, I'll report back when I end up playing it. But uh, I have one more score, but I'm going to save it for What Are You Playing? Um, awesome. little hidden gem I found that I think you guys are going to think is cool. Oh, no, Travis, nice. you said the word hidden gem. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> All right. So let's roll into What Are You Playing? And once again, we'll start with Travis, the guest. Uh, besides Doom, what have you been playing in the last couple of weeks? Uh, I've been playing a bunch of stuff. Um, ever since the Burnout Paradise Remastered came out, I've fallen back in love with that game. That, that game's 10 years old now, but it's still, in my opinion, is one of the best racing games ever made. I'm a really big yeah. fan of the arcade style racing game. I like a racing game where I don't ever have to touch the brake, except when I want to initiate a power slide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've I've been playing that a whole bunch. Uh, somewhere along the way, I decided to give Dark Souls another try when the remastered version came out. I've tried to get into those games like three or four times, and it just never really hooked me. It just felt like I was bashing my head against a brick wall trying to make any progress in those games. But when Bloodborne came out, um, which is also something I've been playing a little bit of recently, um, I fell real hard for Bloodborne. Just the Victorian Gothic setting just really was visually interesting to me and mm-hmm. the combat with the parry moves and the, and the guns, it was, it was much more offensive combat as opposed to the dark souls combat, which is much more defensive. So I, I played the heck out of bloodborne. So I figured, okay, well let's give this dark souls another try. Now that I've kind of cut my teeth a little bit with this kind of style of game. Um, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's still frustrating Still just stupid hard, but I'm making my way through it slowly but surely. Very cool. Somewhere a uh, Duke Togo has woken up after concert cast talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's like I I needed that way in the door to kind of get me adjusted to that style of game, I guess. But, uh, so yeah, I've been playing more Bloodborne too. I'm debating whether I want to go for that platinum trophy in Bloodborne. Um, I'm only about four trophies away. But that platinum trophy is going to be really hard and still take a lot more time to get. So I'm not sure if that's going to happen. <laughs> um, is that something you typically do with games? You go for like platinum trophies? I mean, 
typically for me, I just play through a game, I finish it, and I'm pretty much done with it. But I know a lot of people are trophy hunters. Uh, it, for me, it kind of all depends on the game itself and how the trophies are structured. I'm not a very big multiplayer gamer, so if I look at the trophy list and there's a whole swath of trophies that are like multiplayer focused, then I'll just kind of not even worry about it. Um, but if there's not very many multiplayer trophies or if there's no multiplayer component at all, I'll kind of see what they look like if I play through the game and I finish it and I look at that trophy list and I'm just a few away from getting the trophy, then I'll plow through and I'll get it. Or if it's a game that like really hooks me, like Bloodborne or Burnout Paradise, I platinum to Burnout Paradise. So it, it all depends on the game, how into the game I am and how the trophies are structured. Uh, the only other thing I've been playing is uh, Mario Tennis Aces that came out a few weeks ago. I have not played a Mario Tennis game since the, I think it was a Game Boy Color game was the Mario Tennis where it was like had a lot of RPG elements. You were kind of like this student at like a tennis school and you had to kind of make your way through the ranks in this tennis school and I had a lot of fun with it back on the GBC but I have not played any of the Mario Tennis games since then and when this game came out I just heard so many good things about it I decided to give it another try. It's fun. It's um, kind of weird. There's a lot of mechanics to it so it's it's got a surprising amount of depth and I haven't decided yet if that's what I want out of my Mario Tennis game. Yeah, I don't know. The old Mario Tennis was nice because it was arcadey and kind of casual. So with this new Mario Tennis Aces, it's still very uh, light and colorful in the Mario game sports style. But the depth of the complicated mechanics, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of a mixed bag. And it's fun, but I don't know if I'm going to stick with it long term. Did you say what platform that is on? Uh, that is on the Switch. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's Mario, so that's the only thing you're going to find it on. For sure. They're still making games for the 3DS. That's why I asked. They, oh, yeah, yeah. They, they haven't let that die yet, so I was curious. Yeah, I think they did do a couple Mario Tennis games on the 3DS. I have not kept up on the series, so I don't know that for sure. But um, I think that series has been kind of hit and miss with fans over the years. But uh, this new one seems to be pretty popular. Cool. That's about it. All right, let's move on to Rich. What have you been playing, man? Oh, well, I've got two games. One I'm very excited to talk about, and the other I'm a little embarrassed to talk about. So I'll start <laughs> with the one I'm a little more embarrassed to talk about first. As you know, I've told the story several times on here about my babysitter calling me while I was at a indoor football game and asking if she could download Fortnite onto my PS4. <laughs> So my kids have been begging me to play. They enjoy playing. They're not very good at it, of course, because they're playing against older kids and adults who are obsessed with the game. But I decided to give it a go, you know, for their sake and, you know, to play and actually have something to talk about. I played a few rounds, did okay. I'm not the greatest third person or first person shooter uh, game player, but uh, uh, yeah, it was okay for what it is. I like the combat, the weapons, and, and things like that, but I just really don't like the building mechanic of it. Basically, you get dropped onto an island with a hundred other players. There's a storm around the island, and it shrinks, and it pushes everyone to the center. You know, it's just like Hunger Games, or probably more like, Sean, you know, um, what was that Japanese movie that inspired Hunger Games? Oh, Battle uh, Royale? Yeah, like Battle Royale almost, but it's more weaponized. It's neat, but 
it has a sort of like resource collection thing and you can like build barriers and walls around you hence i guess the name fortnite i don't know to me that's kind of a little cheesy i would rather just use environments and go around shooting at people you know like in a call of duty game or something like that so i mean i'm glad i checked it out and you know especially like for my kids as if it was something that's appropriate for them to play they don't have a headset so they can't talk to people so that's probably a good thing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it, it's very mild arcade violence, even though it does have guns in it. But I don't really obsess with that kind of stuff with my kids. You know, it's something that we can discuss and talk about. So it doesn't bother me that they're playing it at all. And then the other thing, the game that I was really excited to play, and Sean, I talked to you a little bit about this. It's the um, the Life is Strange 2 demo, the one that came out at E3. It's about a two-hour game. It's called The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit. I've been really wondering about that because I, I loved that first game. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear you talk about it. I haven't played it yet. Well, it's only about two hours long, and it's a free download. I believe Xbox One and definitely PS4, which is where I played it. I'm not sure if it's available on Switch or not. You know, I just haven't checked, but maybe. It's a very neat game, and in that two compacted hours... It's pretty powerful. I was really surprised. I kind of expected it, just knowing how Life is Strange games are. So, uh, yeah, I would definitely highly recommend checking this out. If this is any indication as far as what Life is Strange 2 is going to be like, then uh, I think we're all in for a nice treat. And from what I understand, this smaller part of the story, this character, this little boy, is actually in the new game. That's kind of the rumors that's been swirling around it. I can't confirm that, but uh, that's just what I've heard. So, uh, yeah, man, it's a free download, so uh, very much worth it and uh, worth your time to check out. Cool. Nice. You had told me to give it a shot, and I it totally slipped my mind, Rich. I wanted to play it before we came on the air here so we could maybe chat about it a little bit. But yeah, Maybe next time, man. Yeah, we'll have to save it for next time because I forgot to even download it. <laughs> and uh, Of course, I'm interested in uh, a free game that's part of the um, Life is Strange universe. It doesn't get any better than that. So as far as what I've been playing, yeah, I mentioned it's a little hidden gem, a little undiscovered game, very obscure, very hard to find. It's called... Uh, Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've heard so, a little bit about that game. Yeah. It's, it's, some people seem to kind of like it, you know, I'm not really sure. Yeah, so it came out about eight years ago and it's been on every platform that's ever been created. And uh, it's, you know, one of the biggest games of all time and everybody's played it except me. And uh, I was really looking for a game that, I really just wanted to take a deep dive into something that I could play for like a really long time. And I I knew that only a Bethesda game could really take me there. And I've never played Skyrim. So this is one of my scores because I just picked up the uh, special edition of Skyrim on the Switch. So I'm actually playing on the Switch. And it looks surprisingly good. I'm not a graphics person whatsoever, but I feel like I can tell bad graphics when I see them or bad performance when I see it. But this game, so far, it's very intricate and detailed and the textures are really good looking. I'm playing it mostly on, on the TV too, so... Um, you get a little less fidelity on the TV, I believe, with the Switch. So played a little bit in handheld mode, but I'm just really enjoying the game. I mean, most people know. Rich, I know you, you've never played a Bethesda game, but uh, 
Travis, I don't know. Have you, have you played Skyrim or Oblivion or Fallout 3 or anything? I've dabbled in pretty much all of them. My problem with those games is I want to like them. I like them in principle, but I generally prefer more direction in my games. So I don't really care for the slow melee combat in Elder Scrolls games, but I, I, yeah. I appreciate them for what they are. Fallout is more my speed with the gun combat and things like that. But even in Fallout, what tends to happen is I'll play the first like two hours of Fallout and then I'll get unleashed on this massive open world with very little direction and I'll just kind of wander around for a bit and lose interest. But um, I can see that. I, I can definitely see why people just love the heck out of them. Yeah. So for me, it all depends on like what I'm in the mood for. Like if I want to play sure. something quick and beat, you know, if I want to beat a game in 10 hours, then I'll find something obviously completely different from this. But like I said, I was really in the mood like... I want to be playing Skyrim for like the next six months. Like I want to be totally immersed into it and I want to let the game come to me as it were. And for me, Bethesda games have this like kind of loop where you jump into them and you try to do a couple quests on the main quest line and the game will just get immediately too hard and you'll start getting your butt handed to you. And then what you do is you just kind of wander around and there is this hump that you have to get over before you get into a kind of groove of doing things and having multiple quests open and being part of this faction and you're trying to get this weapon and you have all these little things going on in, in the background of your mind as you're playing the game. Of course, as you're just running around, all kinds of random stuff happens to you. People just run up to you with quests or characters will just try to rob you and you have to fight them or you get raided or you end up in a raid of some sort or in Skyrim, dragons just randomly attack. <laughs> and There's like different strategies like luring them to the town so the town's guard will help you take them out because it's that you get valuable upgrades from the dragon attacks and they're very rare. Yeah, it's crazy deep and everybody, millions of people have played this game already. So like I'm so late to the party on this that I don't have anything new to say about it, playing it for 10 hours, but I really, really like it. And I plan to be relaxing and again, just letting the game come to me and just playing it for a long time, hopefully. Is this going to be your new Metal Gear Solid 5, you think? Yeah, uh, it's funny because I was thinking that. Like, It's funny, there's some very similar elements. Like, You can um, pick certain plants as you're running around the world. And that was in Metal Gear Solid 5 as well. So as you're running around in Skyrim, an indicator pops up like, harvest this lavender or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, got to stop for a second, get that. And it's like, oh my God, there's just millions of plants. You could spend your whole night you know, just picking plants for an hour, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, this for now is going to be my MGS5. I haven't logged into MGS5 in a while. I haven't even turned on my PS3 in a while, not for any particular reason. I was actually getting very close in MGS5 to having not 100% of the game, but having the full capacity of all my bases. And this is not going to make sense to anybody who is not playing the game in the way that I did. But like you build these forward operating bases and this is where like the microtransactions came in. Like you can pay for the points to construct the bases and put security on them. But I actually 
was almost to the point where I had maxed out all the forward operating bases that you could have in the game without spending anything on microtransactions. So that was one of the things I was trying to do in the game. I almost got there and, and I probably will. Like like I've said on the show before, I don't think I'll ever stop playing it, but I just haven't in a while. So yeah, that's the feeling I was chasing though, Rich, with firing up Skyrim and just finally just like surrendering to this game. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not a big open world person, but I think the only one that has caught my interest recently, you're talking about the gathering and stuff, uh, as the uh, the newer Monster Hunter game, I think I could be really into sort of like Travis. I like that sort of quick combat too in games instead of uh, kind of that first person slower combat in Elder Scrolls. I, I would like to get over that hump. That progression where you constantly have new missions coming in, that sounds very, like, Borderlands-esque, and I got way into Borderlands, so maybe it's that I just need to plow through it enough to get myself over that hump in, like, a Fallout to where I do have the, the quests flowing in and always have stuff to do and places to go, so I don't know. Maybe someday I'll push through. It's always hard trying to recommend in a game, like, just get past the first 10 hours. That's right. like, you know, when you hand somebody a thousand page book and just, just read the first 150 pages, <laughs> right. you know, that's all you just got to get past that. You know? And it's great. So, right. So, <laughs> yeah, I understand the, the trepidation there. And I agree that I like the Fallout games better. One of the things that I'm finding with Skyrim and uh, we'll move on in a second. I don't want to talk about this all night, but um. Unlike Fallout, there's no music in Skyrim. Like a lot of the times you're just running around in silence. So I've actually found that I have to, I don't have to, but I've chosen to listen to podcasts or music while I'm playing this game. <laughs> so that's the one thing, because in Fallout, you can turn on the radio and at least listen to those, uh, the old timey songs and uh, it really fills the air a little bit. So it doesn't... Uh, Boring is the wrong word. It's not boring at all. It's just too quiet. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. sounds like how I play Diablo because <laughs> I'm still playing Diablo three. Nice. But I'll, I'll, I'll put on a podcast <laughs> or something. And while I just sit there mindlessly, just killing demons and Diablo. <laughs> sounds right. All right, guys. Well, I think we should move on into our game here.
So Rich, once again, you came up with a very provocative question to pose to the audience. <laughs> and the question is, if there were a special area of hell dedicated to you, what would it be like? And I got to tell you, this question really threw me for a loop because I thought... <laughs> Every that, question I have throws you for a loop, it seems, these days. Well, this one is is very... You could take this to some really dark and deep mental places. You know what I mean? Um, I, I suppose, yeah. We, we all have things we care about. We all have things that we know would hurt us. We all fear physical pain to a certain extent. So there's no limits to the dark imagination that you can come up with for what a hell would be like <laughs> for yourself personally. <laughs> so we talked about this, and I'm I'm glad that... We kind of talked it out a little because I got all of that out of my mind and I'm going to go with a tongue-in-cheek answer, which is what everybody else did. So let's go to Twitter first because we did get a few responses from, from our friends here. So at Neo Magic Warrior says, it is just me at work trying to stop my managers from making dumb decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all can relate to that. I mean, that's life for a lot of people. Game Boy Guru, at Game Boy Guru, our friend Josh, friend of the show, former guest, he says, forcing me to watch the quote-unquote comedy Dinosaurs from the 1990s <laughs> on repeat 24-7. Awesome. Now, I remember the show and I remember watching it. I think I was so young that I just liked the animatronics and if the humor was bad, it went right over my head. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I really liked it. And I got into a little chat with him about it. It was like, no, that's dinosaurs was great. <laughs> yeah. Twitter fight. Go. Right, right. <laughs> All right. Well, Travis, I'll kick it to you, man. What's your uh, special version of hell? Uh, I'm probably, yeah, going to go a little bit more mundane with this one. I've, um, I've worked in a customer service-ish capacity for pretty much my entire working life. So my personal hell would probably be something customer service based where I'm forced to deal with the worst customers over and over and over again for eternity. Basically anyone who's seen the movies at office space or waiting, something like that. But I would always be on the lookout for any kind of way to kind of turn the tables and become a do marine in that world that's that's what i'm gonna go with i like that answer that's great <laughs> yeah that's a good plan all right what about you rich um mine's a little elaborate so you're gonna have to stick with me okay um all right so i have to explain this a little bit there's this house in the north carolina mountains called the biltmore estate this if you've ever heard of this place no no okay so it was built by the Vanderbilts, if you've heard of Vanderbilt University. It's this huge mansion. It's featured prominently in a lot of movies where there's just an extraordinarily large house. One of those being the movie Richie Rich. It's featured at the end of the P.T. Anderson movie, There Will Be Blood. And it's also in Silence of the Lambs too. It's just this extravagant estate, and everyone here just drools over it. They want to go out there, tour it, go to the wineries. And I just had this whole pet peeve about the place. And it's just something my friends make fun of me for all the time. I just feel like 
If I want to go look at houses, I'm going to get a real estate agent. I have no desire to go see a lavish house. So anyway, knowing that, my hell would be being stuck in that house with the door blocked by ladies pushing shopping carts that are stopped in the middle of the entrance. (laughs) And at one of those friends parties that you have to go to where they try to sell you stuff and you feel like you have to buy it because you're their friend. And I'd have to listen to Green Day the whole time as well. (laughs) Wow. That's multi-layered, dude. (laughs) It really is, man. I mean, if you know how I live, you would understand that uh, the devil really wants me to suffer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, now I have to add on to mine because mine would be having Weezer playing in the background the whole time. Oh, damn. We're dissing Green Day and Weezer tonight. I'm not not getting into this. (laughs) Dude, I just saw them. What's up with that? I know. That's why I made a mental (laughs) note to bring it up. (laughs) Wow. To be fair, I have not listened to any recent Weezer. Uh, but and to be fair, it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You're allowed to like it, but at least you are honest about it. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't know if you want to leave that in, Rich, but you just broke continuity. Because... I know. I realize that. <laughs> uh... Well, I tweeted out that we had technical difficulties, so I don't mind saying we're recording this on two different nights. So. The show Rich was talking about, he already went to during the duration of the show. So, But I'll save everyone, especially our buddy Duke, from hearing another episode of the concert cast, and we'll talk about that next time. But uh, yeah, had a terrible lightning storm in my area, and right in the middle of recording, right after we finished my pickups, the lights in my house went off, and uh, we're out for almost 24 hours. Wow. So uh, yeah, some trees fell and some power lines. Nice. Crazy. Well, it's good to have you back. and uh, Very ominous since we're talking about Doom, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'll wrap up this, uh, this special question with my version of hell, which is it's hard to follow yours, Rich, but mine is, is kind of similar to the workers like Neomagic, Warrior, and Travis over here in that I have this thing with... Um, For some reason, it's not just at the job that I have now. It's been at previous jobs. People, let me explain. So I I used to (laughs) work, (laughs) in the place I used to work, all my coworkers liked really good music. I actually had one of my coworkers kind of introduce me to David Bowie. Like I really knew who David Bowie was, but I didn't appreciate his music the way most people do. So this was a guy who really liked good music, um, but he would sing over it all day. And he was a horrible, horrible singer who couldn't carry a tune. <laughs> At my job now, there's a gentleman who plays really good music and whistles over it. And it just drives me nuts. It's like, why are you people ruining good music you know, like nobody needs you to add to it, man. It's perfect. Like under pressure with Queen and Bowie is the perfect song. You don't have to whistle over it. You don't. Nobody asks you to sing to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just right. it peeves the living hell out of me. So yeah, that that would be my personal version of hell. Just listening to like my favorite songs with somebody whistling or singing off key over them. I'm guessing you don't like to go out to karaoke much, do you? No, you know what? So. 
I think karaoke would be totally different because it's intentional. Like that's you, okay. you get what you sign up for. And I've never done karaoke, but I really want to because I'm actually a good singer. No, <laughs> <laughs> get up there and show no, but how I to think do I it. can. I think I can carry a tune in a fun way. You know what I mean? Like, right, I think I would right. be good at karaoke because I can really belt something out in like a cheeky way. Like not saying I'm a good singer, but like I used to sing in a band. Like I know how to carry a tune. So when I hear someone singing just totally off key, off pitch, can't carry a tune <laughs> in a paper bag, like, I'm sorry, it kills me. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little nerd side note here. I just wanted to say, you mentioned the song Under Pressure, and I don't know if you know this or not. That's like one of my top 10 songs of all time. I love that song. I think it's one of Bowie's and Queen's best songs, but Bowie was not even supposed to be in that song. He just happened to be at the studio that day, and the guys from Queen asked him if he wanted to be in that track. Can you believe that? No, I didn't know that. That is amazing. I mean, you talk about fate. That's incredible. And I don't know if you've heard it before, but you can actually listen to these videos on YouTube and Under Pressure is one of them where they just take like the vocal tracks of uh, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie and they split them up so you can just hear them just singing kind of alone and, and what that track sounds like. And I know that sounds kind of hokey and maybe kind of silly, but if you listen to their vocals and you can just really hear their voices, it's amazing. No, I like that kind of stuff. And now we're really going down a rabbit hole. But I have to mention, um, (laughs) there's a YouTuber named Rick Beato. It's spelled B-E-A-T-O. So it looks like Beato, but it's Beato. Um, And he's a record engineer. And he's really into the older stuff, like the pre-Pro Tools era, the pre-Auto-Tune era. And he has this series called What Makes This Song Great? And he takes a song and he breaks it down. And I'll play like just a guitar track and he'll say like oh check this out check out what they're doing here and he does like a lot of music theory stuff and really awesome explanations but then he'll isolate the vocal tracks and tell you like listen to how this sounds it's not auto-tuned like he's really like reverent towards the music and he does all kinds of everything from the 60s 70s 80s like into the 90s and 2000s if it was recorded legitimately you know what i mean so yeah Mm -hmm. rick beato on youtube he's an awesome awesome dude i think you would like him a lot rich yeah cool that sounds fascinating yeah i've I've listened to that kind of stuff about video game music but not really regular music before so cool all right so (laughs) now that we're done with all that let's go into our participants so uh, myself, Rich, Travis, of course, Dougley007, of course, with a name like Metal Fro, <laughs> y- you can't not play Doom. It's true. Duke Togo, our good friend Pam, and a new member on the site, FNA, which I didn't realize as I was typing it that that's like a euphemism for FNA, I think. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, good participation this month. It's kind of a popular-ish game, a new-ish game. So I think that got a lot of people going. So thanks to everybody who jumped in. Yeah, so I can just go over the the release of the game a little bit. It had kind of a long history. This was supposed to be Doom 4. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Doom 3, but that was kind of a weird survival horror game. I remember playing it on the Xbox and... This was a game where you had to shine a flashlight and you couldn't shoot while you were 
shining the flashlight. So there was a lot of real like light and dark elements to the point where they made a mod on the PC version where you could just have the flashlight on at all times while you were shooting and stuff. So just a lot of monster closets, basically. Yeah, that was the other like major complaint was that, you know, it was a lot of jump scares and just like you said, monster closets, which I don't know. Can you explain what that is, that that kind of terminology, uh, just so everybody knows? Yeah, it's it's a pretty common trope, um, especially in like horror games. You go into this, this little tiny off corridor or side hallway and there may be an item in there <clears throat> that you really need. So you pick up the item and all of a sudden a wall opens up behind you and like three enemies just charge out behind you. It can be an effective tactic, but it can be very easily overused and just gets pretty rote uh, rather quickly. Yeah, I can't speak too much to that game. Like I said, I played it a little. I still have my copy on the original Xbox. Um, But they went ahead with Doom 4, but it ended up kind of just having a troubled development. And I read into it. I didn't take too many notes on it, but it ended up just getting delayed, delayed, delayed. And then they just kind of started over with the new Doom that we have. As a matter of fact, there's a pretty lengthy development history on uh, Wikipedia, and there was a long Kotaku article about it. And uh, for better or for worse, I don't want to get into it for our purposes here, but just know this, the whole intent was just to continue the series with Doom 4, had a really rough development, and what we ended up getting was a, a reboot after Bethesda bought id and they started like rebooting Wolfenstein and they just kind of started all over on Doom and they just called it Doom and it ended up coming out in uh, 2016 and then on, on the Switch the following year. So, you know, Doom is is a game that we all know as... And I'm talking about the original Doom now. This was a a big step in first-person shooters. It really innovated on what id had done with Wolfenstein 3D. I think this is all pretty well-known history. So I want to get into what our personal histories are with Doom. So Travis, did you grow up playing the original Doom or Doom 2 when you were younger? Or is this something that you played just as a retro experience or have you ever played it i guess i'm just assuming here yeah i I played the heck out of doom when i was i think it was a teenager it was like what early 90s but yeah i I was a teenager um and back then my dad played games with my brother and i so he got pretty into doom as well so i played it with him and by myself i knew of wolfenstein um, played it a little bit but didn't get hugely into it but i was really excited to play doom it was dark and scary and violent and the enemy designs were really cool the level designs were really neat so yeah i played a lot of doom 1 doom 2 um i even played doom 64 on the n64 personally i think doom 64 is depressingly underrated as a game yeah that's a good game and i i I just want to throw in a lot of people don't realize that is an original game it's not a port of any other doom game so doom 64 is pretty cool um, when Doom 3 came out, I was really excited. I got it. I enjoyed it. It's a fun game, but not really the same thing. So I can understand why people didn't like it. I was pretty skeptical of this new Doom game when I heard about it. Um, just because of the development hell that it had been in for quite some time that you mentioned, Sean. 
But once I saw the footage at like E3, I was like, oh, that kind of perked up my eyes. And I was like, okay, this this actually looks pretty cool. So yeah, I, I, my Doom history goes way back. Awesome. Now, Rich, I'm, I think you were probably in college or about to be in college when Doom came out. And we, I have a feeling you're going to have a similar story to when we talked about Diablo. So uh, what's your original Doom history? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I don't have the history that Travis does with the game. It's not deep and rich, but kind of my history with these games. I remember, and this guy's is going to date me. When I was a senior in high school, I took typing class, which did not even involve computers. It was actually a typewriter. That's how I learned. Yeah. And so that was my senior year. And in that classroom, there was one computer over in the corner and if we finished our typing, we could go over and play on the computer. And you had to be quick because there was only one. So um, there was a girl that sat in front of me that kind of flirted with me. And I got her to, like, do my typing for me so I could go <laughs> <on> the computer. <laughs> That's great. Because uh, she was really fast. Uh, but uh, that computer had Wolfenstein on it. So my first exposure to these types of games was Wolfenstein. And... Um, you know, I, I didn't pick up Doom until uh, it was pretty much the same time that I was playing Diablo in college. My roommate, you know, just had a copy of it and I started playing it. And I guess one of the things I liked a little bit better about Doom is I wasn't actually killing human beings like you do in Wolfenstein, which uh, is kind of shocking thinking back to uh, 1994, 1995 and being in high school and that actually being on a high school computer. You know, I, I don't know what was loaded. Maybe a teacher had put it on there or something, or some kid had snuck in and, and put it on the computer, which is kind of funny to think about. Yeah, a teacher could not have known what that was. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my history with it, because I didn't play, like you said, Doom 64, which obviously is a game that I'm going to want to go seek out now. And I've never played Doom 3, but I've heard kind of lukewarm things about that game, so... My history is kind of jumping from that original game to this reboot, which is kind of nice because there's elements, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, from the original game that you actually see in the uh, the new game, which is really, really nice. So, uh, yeah, that's my history. So my history with Doom is somewhat similar. Now, I had to go and check because I wanted to make sure that I didn't say something that was wrong. And for you guys to know, Wolfenstein 3D was released in 1992 and Doom was released in 1993. So my initial thoughts were that, oh, I played these games in high school. But to the contrary, I wasn't in high school until... Uh, 1995 and 6, I guess. I graduated in 2000, so I was still in grade school and middle school when these games came out. But I do remember our 386 computer. I got to tell you, this is an amazing thing that I think about a lot, and I'm, I feel really privileged that I can go on record with this right now. I can remember life without any computers whatsoever, and I remember there was a day that we didn't have a computer. And then I remember the day my dad brought home our first computer and it, he set it up on the dining room table. And that is something that generations younger than us will never experience. And I don't mean that in a 
looking down my nose, snooty kind of, you know, kids these days will never understand because I really hate that attitude. So you won't ever hear me copying that attitude. I just think it's fascinating to think that there was a time in my life now that we have computers literally everywhere in our pockets at all times, in our cars, in our refrigerators, in our freaking stoves and washing machines, there are computers and birthday cards, there are <laughs> chips, you know, like to think back to a time where we didn't have that. And I remember very, very vividly the day that all of a sudden there was this thing on our dining room table. Like, what is this? You know what I mean? So I want to talk about Wolfenstein 3D and Doom because back then it came up with this idea of shareware, which is they would give you the first disc. It was kind of like a demo, but better because they were giving you like the first couple of levels of the game. They think they called them episodes. So you would get the whole first episode. And to me, that was like a full game. Like there was so much to it. And it's like, wow, this is free, you know, like... So I remember we played way more Wolfenstein than we did Doom, to be quite honest. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was just because it was provocative to be running around shooting Nazis. And I don't know. I really don't know. And Doom was really cool because it added more of a verticality. You're going upstairs. You can jump out windows and stuff. The world just felt very more um, robust and kind of lush and you could do more things. Yeah, Wolfenstein was pretty much just corridors. Yeah, exactly. Corridors and big rooms. Yep. So yeah, Doom, the level design was way more creative. It's a great history lesson for like early 3D video game development and first person shooters, of course. Like this is, again, a very revered story in, in gaming history. There's been books written about it. You know, we could ask Pam because I follow her on Goodreads and I just saw that she just read Masters of Doom, which is a book I really want to check out. So uh, I've been meaning to look at that too. Yeah. So she gave it a good review. I got to see if my library has it because I want to read that book. But anyway, so my history is not like super special or unique. It really brings me more back to a time when computers were just new. We didn't know what computers were and then all of a sudden they were in our lives and things would never be the same. So... <laughs> <laughs> so true you can push up your glasses now right <laughs> <laughs> so i guess we can move right on into the story and one of the things that i love about this game is they really subvert your expectations with the story because there's this funny moment in the beginning of the game that was much talked about when the game came out everybody kind of spoiled it to be quite honest where the Doom Slayer, which they call him in this game, he used to be Doom Guy or Doom Marine, but in the lore here, he's called the Doom Slayer, picks up some kind of tablet. It's like the size of a 32-inch TV, so to call it a tablet <laughs> is kind of weird. But um, the main like antagonist, Samuel Hayden, starts talking to him, and he says, we're going to have to work together, and we're going to get through this. And he's just talking, and your character just smashes the the tablet <laughs> and like goes on with his business. And it's a really badass moment. And it makes a player think like, yeah, screw this. We don't need a story in a game like this. But as you play through the game, it turns out, you know, it's not Shakespeare, but there actually is a story in this game. And I was rather surprised by that. Now, Rich, you're usually really good with the stories. Um, can oh, I Lord. hand this off to you to get a little, <laughs> a little rundown? Oh, man, I don't know if you can do that or not. 
But uh, <laughs> I might have to, well, if you need might have to lean on Travis on this one. I'll start out, and Travis, you can kind of fill in a little bit. So um, you wake up on this table, and uh, you break out of these restraints, and immediately hop right into the game, fighting demons and uh, factory workers that have become sort of like zombies. I don't think they're quite demons, but I, I don't know. More like possessed. Happened. Yeah. Like hell possessed. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what they refer to them as. You find your old suit behind you in a room, and you just kind of go out and start kicking butt as usual. And the story kind of develops from there. There's these nice little spots where uh, you can kind of hear the story and even from some of the demons from hell talking about you, you know, so you're sort of listening to this story about yourself, which is kind of nice. And I thought was a really, really neat part of the game. But what's happened is Samuel Hayden has an assistant. Her name was Olivia Pierce. And why you're basically there in the first place is they found some way to harness the energy from these demons from hell to sustain life on Earth. And, and I say from hell, but it's really like Mars. That's where the factory is, and that's where the game takes place. So Olivia, Samuel's assistant, has kind of gone rogue. And I don't know, Travis, this may be where you have to help me fill in, like why and what she's actually doing. Uh, it's pretty ambiguous from what, I mean, we're going full spoilers here, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Okay. From what I gather, it seems like she's been promised things by the demons to work with them, either promised things or hopes to get in with the demons to become some higher level something or other. So I think that's what she's working toward. Samuel Hayden recognizes what's going on here and he tries to kind of shut her down. But by then it's kind of too late and she's already set that portal to do its thing and send herself to hell. Um, and it's up to kind of you to fix the situation. Yeah, and that sort of involves uh, killing demons and basically shut down and contain the area. And um, not only do you have to contain the labs and everything on Mars, but you also, in a few instances, get transported to hell and other such regions to basically uh, stop the bleeding, if you will. <laughs> so I guess your motivation is to save the world. You know, you're just this quintessential badass that has been sort of locked away in storage. Basically, in case of emergency, break glass. That's you, right? <laughs> kind of. I mean, y your mission is to kill demons. You're the doom guy. That's what the doom guy does. Right. And I love the dichotomy that sets up between the doom marine and Sam Hayden. Mm -hmm. uh, because Sam Hayden, like you said, Sean, at the very beginning of the game, he tries to explain what's going on and say, we can work this out. But the Doom guy just tosses it aside. He's like, I don't care what you're doing, why you screwed up. You screwed up. There's demons. I'm going to kill the demons. That's it. Yeah. And it makes for a good back and forth between the two as the game progresses. Yeah. And from what I understand from the lore at some point, you had to be strapped down and sort of put away at some point. And I feel like, not to spoil other games, but it seems like at some point the demons or someone actually captures you and puts you away. Yeah, and that's explained both in those um, Doom Slayer tablets that you mentioned, mm -hmm. Rich, in the Hell Levels. And also if you look through the log book that you have, all the yeah. text, that's when that kind of stuff comes out. That table that you wake up at in the beginning of the game, that's basically a sarcophagus. 
And part of the Doomslayer tablets is like, the demons fear you. It's kind of a continuation of the last couple games where it's like, they know who you are, the demons do. You just made your way through the depths of hell, killing every demon you come in contact with. They're scared of you. Eventually, they were able to entomb you into this sarcophagus, basically, and lock you away. But then when... Hayden and Olivia Pierce pulled you back out of hell through their portal. They knew who you were too, because by then they had gotten their hands on some of their own tablets and readings. And then once you're loose, you're kind of unleashed. Yeah. All hell breaks loose, no pun intended, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's the Olivia Pierce, those first couple times you see her, she's saying to herself, he could ruin everything because she knows that if you get out, you're going to destroy everything. Yeah. That's kind of a cool, um, position of power that you start out in and uh being a gamer that's kind of a great feeling right that you're this kind of all-powerful space marine if you will yeah and that part of it feeds into all the rest of it as far as the uh, the aggression in the game which i'm sure we'll get into yeah nice uh thank you guys for handling that Let's go ahead and roll into the gameplay here. Now, this is a first-person shooter, and Rich, I just got to get this out of the way. (laughs) You have told me many times, and you've probably said on the air, on the record a few times, that you do not like first-person shooters, yet I think we either mutually recommended this game or it was on your radar. First, explain why you don't like first-person shooters for anybody who missed it, and what made you decide to make an exception with Doom 2016? Yeah, I guess as far as first-person shooters are concerned, like I said, you know, I have a history with Wolfenstein and then somewhat of a history with Doom, but I think I always preferred, you know, like third-person, like platforming games growing up, you know, like Super Mario Brothers and stuff like that, as opposed to that first-person view. I've just never really been a fan of it. I like to see the character, or even in games where I'm driving an automobile, 
if I have the choice to go from that first person view to a third person view or actually see the car, I'm always going to want to see the car. There's just something about that. I don't know. You guys like that in certain ways? I, I can go either way. Okay. I'm with you. Actually, on the car driving thing, I can't play car games in first person. I, I, I just don't like that at all. Sorry, just a quick thing. I'm, I'm actually in Skyrim and, and all these Bethesda games. You can play in first or third person, right. and I play them predominantly right. in third person because I want to see my character. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, there's something personal about seeing the character, although from a first-person view, it makes more sense that you're taking on this persona of this character, right? As opposed to third-person, where that kind of puts you out of that. So... I understand why games like Doom do this, but for me, it's just not a preferred view. Let's see, your other question was, why did I want to play this game? Well, I had bought this game fairly cheaply, and this was after 2016, where I saw it on a ton of people on RF Generation's uh, best of list. A lot of people had it listed as number one. For those who don't... mine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was. It was on yours, and I believe it was on Pam's as well. Of course, I run the blogs and front page over at RF Generation. So what I encourage a lot of our writers to do is to maybe come up with a top 10 list of games that you played throughout the year. It could be all games that were released in that year or just games that you came across that year. And so we have a lot of people that participate in that. And I just noticed Doom kept popping up on the radar. And I was like, really? And I knew it was a Bethesda game. And I knew that, you know, they made a quality product. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, I'll just put it down on the list here, see if Sean bites. Maybe you'll want to play it at some point. <laughs> and uh, you did. Glad that it was your pick for your month. Cool. Very good. And I was excited just because it gave me an excuse to play through it again. <laughs> nice. Awesome. <laughs> and, you know, I love horror films, too. So, uh, you know, anything with demons and gore, I'm going to be all into. Very true. And uh, that's a huge element of this game, which we will get <laughs> yeah. into. Um Let's talk about the difficulty level first, because we actually got a um, few comments on that, because some of us were rage quitting and some of us were already playing on easy and rage quitting. <laughs> so <laughs> and we, have, we have a lot of hardcore people who try to challenge themselves on, on our forum. So it was, a, it was interesting to see. Uh, again, this game has an adjustable difficulty, which is traditional to the series. Yeah. And funny, right? Right, they have funny names, just like Wolfenstein. I was a little worried at first, because those first few comments kept saying how difficult they thought it was, and, and that they were surprised at that. I was a little worried people would fall off it, but that didn't appear to happen. They they all stuck with it. Yeah, very true. Luckily, the game is kind of alluring in a way that you want to keep going with it, so uh, that was good. Metal Fro had a comment. He He said... I will say, turning down the difficulty to the lowest level helped tremendously. I was playing on the default setting, and while that typically worked for me on older Doom games, Wolfenstein 3D, etc., this game is just brutal, and my ability to successfully aim with the right analog stick on any pad pales into comparison to what you can do with a mouse. So I have to crank the difficulty down in order to stand a better chance. Were I playing on the PC, I might feel a bit different and be able to handle it better due to more precision aiming. But on console, forget about it. So he brings up, he brings up an excellent point which is that 
low-life console scum like us, we don't even deserve to be playing first-person shooters because to use a controller <laughs> is sacrilege. And like, why are we even doing this to ourselves? Most of our listeners know we don't really game on PC. Like I was lucky to get the original Diablo running on the computer that I'm using right now to record this. Um, just not a PC gamer. And Rich, I think you're kind of in the same boat. But uh, yeah. Travis, what's your take on all this? I mean, I've been playing first person shooters with a controller since there have been first person shooters on consoles. So this is pretty natural to me. But I do understand the mouse and keyboard, the point and clicky nature, the precision of playing on the PC. So do you have any comment on that? Um, I mean, it, Metal Fro is definitely right. You can't get close to the kind of pinpoint control that you can get on a PC on a console. Um, generally, I think console controller FPS controls have gotten really good over the years, um, and I've been playing them long enough that I don't really have any problem with them. But I will say that when I started playing Doom, it was on my PS4 when it came out. Um, I played almost all the way through it, but when I switched to the PC version and played through it, I tried to go back to the PS4 version, and I had a hard time with it. With the aggressive combat that this game has, I was just so used to the mouse and keyboard, it took a huge readjustment to go back to the controller after that. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, like I said, I that's just what I'm used to, so I'm sure it's better, I'm sure it's fun, maybe one day I'll experience it. This computer that I'm using right now is so old that I'm actually talking to my wife at this point about potentially replacing it with something that could play games. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. I might be one of these guys with a Steam account with 10,099 cent games on it that uh, right. <laughs> that I'll never play. But uh, we'll see. Well, don't potentially make me have to buy a computer. Yeah. Too. No. <laughs> no, I promise you, no PC exclusives. We won't. We won't. I was going to say, that. next place cast is going to be a PC exclusive. <laughs> We've done it before. Yeah, that's true. We did have that one month. We did a couple of different things, but uh, I didn't do that because I don't have a gaming PC. So there you go. So, Rich, what was your take on the difficulty? Again, I know you're you're not playing with a mouse and keyboard, so uh, you have the double whammy of playing on a console for god's sake and then you don't really like first person shooters to begin with so how did you and i'm not much of a modern gamer right 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 (laughs) so so how did you how did you deal well you know it's kind of natural to me with these types of games now to play on a console so it felt very natural i thought the controls were really good and though you couldn't get that sort of pinpoint accuracy that you can when you're gaming on a computer i thought they did a really good job with it One of the things I really like about the difficulty in this Doom game is that they're not going to let you off the hook easy, right? I mean, Sean, you and I, we played on the easiest difficulty, and I still struggled at times. You know, I would get stuck in certain spots and certain battles for 30 minutes, maybe an hour sometimes, have to put the controller down, cut it off, maybe come back to it in a few hours or come back to it the next day. It does make you really think about your battle. And we'll talk about the different types of weapons and things and the uses, but it really makes you take those things in consideration, makes you look at the power-up items and stuff that are in the area, and really plan out your fight better. Yeah, it forces you to use 
all your guns and all your power-ups. It, it really forces you to vary up your combat. Yeah, it really does. And it does that even on the easiest level, Travis. So yeah. that's what I really like from the game. It feels very rewarding when you get past an area. You can be stuck for a little while. And yeah, I mean, I express some frustration. And I don't think I that really came out on the forums. I didn't really say anything about that. But there are parts where I got frustrated, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I can do this. If I put a little more effort in this, plan this out a little bit better. And at one point I said, oh my gosh, I forgot to use my BFG. What am I doing? Why did I not <laughs> use that the entire fight? And that was a thought I had while lying in bed one night, you know, after I was been frustrated and figured it out, hopped up the next day, jumped on the console and got past that area fairly easily. But yeah, it, that's something that I really appreciate about this game is it really makes you work for it. It's not going to let you put on the easiest setting and just breeze through the game and see credits. And how badass did that make you feel once you finally got through it? Well, knowing how many more levels of difficulty there are, not so <laughs> badass. And Travis, I will go ahead and let you push up your glasses and talk about the difficulty level that you played on. Well, I mean... <sighs> Like most people on the forums, I was really unprepared for how difficult this game would be when it first came out. It took me completely by surprise, but eventually the more I played it, the more I kind of got what it was doing. Because not only does it force you to use your entire arsenal, what the difficulty forces you to do is to be aggressive. Because most first-person shooters now with regenerating health, you back off a bit, you hide behind a wall, all of a sudden... You know, 10 seconds later, you're back in there with full mm. health. Not in this game. No regenerating health. And you cannot hide behind anything because the uh, the demons will seek you out relentlessly. Yep. They will not let you sit still for a second. So what that does is it creates a gameplay loop where you are forced to be aggressive and move forward to the enemy. I was watching some developer documentary on this, and one of the things they said, they called it, push forward combat where the more aggressive you are the more enemies you're going to kill the more life you're going to get and that is how you stay alive you know that's the whole point behind the uh the glory kill thing because anytime you damage an enemy enough to see them flashing you go up into your glory kill you get a little health back so that's really how you have to stay alive because if you try to play defensively it's not going to work and I was really happy to find out that that worked the same way, even on the easier difficulties. As I mentioned on the forums, when I first played through this, it was on the medium standard difficulty. That's where I completed it all the way through last year. So for this playthrough, I tried to step up to the next difficulty. Oh, it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm about to beat the first hell level. It's been rough. I've died a lot. But it's nice, though, that the difficulty scales the same, even on the lower difficulties, where even on the lower difficulties, you're still having to be aggressive to where every health pack you get is vital. It's a calculated risk. Yeah. Um, anybody who remembers playing the old Doom game will know if you have 90 health out of 100 and you see a big health pack worth 25 and you know there's a whole bunch of enemies coming up, you're not getting that power up right away. You're going to wait and save that health pack. That's what this game did again. And it felt really good to kind of weigh your options as far as should I grab that health pack? Should I grab this ammo? Because there's a whole other mess of guys over there. 
So I really liked how it was balanced in that way. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, balanced on every level of play, no matter which one you were playing. It seems like they did a really good job of playtesting this game and making it suitable for all caliber of player. And I think that's super vital when you do make a game this difficult. Mm -hmm. So one of the other elements of the gameplay that actually took me by surprise was the platforming and verticality of this game. I was not expecting this at all, and I commented on the thread to that effect because I thought quite a few times, am I supposed to get up there or... How am I going to get down there? But right. <laughs> there, are, there are many times where you have to make these leaps of faith. And when you take a huge fall, there's like a little cool icon that comes up on the screen that it says like impact stabilization or something like I can't remember what the right. exact wording is, but it's it kind of justifies that you don't die by jumping 18 <laughs> stories off of a cliff or something. Yay, science. Yeah. <laughs> But as far as the verticality moving in the upward direction, they tend to use the color green as signposting, which is very useful. So mm -hmm. there might be a, a ledge that just has a little green light on it. You jump on the crates and then you see, oh, up there, there's a rail with a little green on it. That must be where I need to go. And the jumping mechanic has this kind of stick and grab and you pull yourself up. So if you jump against the wall, that you can vault yourself up to. There's this quick animation where you kind of, you can almost feel your chest bumping up against the rail as you like lift yourself up onto it. You know what I mean? It's a pretty cool yeah. mechanic. I was really surprised by that. And once again, we have a really good comment from Metal Fro. We'll be hearing from him a couple more times throughout the yeah. show. He is very active. It's always nice to hear from people like Metal Fro, who you can tell this is kind of his first time through the game, and it's good to get all these comments and feedback. So, yeah, we really appreciate it. It was fun reading his stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I was excited for him the, the further he got <laughs> into the game. Yeah, he played uh, Legend of Zelda with us when we played that. He had never played the original Legend of Zelda before, oh, and wow. his comments on that thread were just like, I was a kid again, you know, like, <laughs> reliving it through him. It was great. It's great. Well, about the platforming, he said, I actually like the platforming and agree that it does add an extra element to the game. So it's not just shooting baddies. The jumping takes a bit to get used to and can be a touch floaty. But overall, I like that aspect. I just don't like falling off a ledge when I'm five or six gunshots away from killing the last demon in a large onslaught. <laughs> only to have to do the whole thing again, and usually two or three times because I got lucky that time. <laughs> so now that's a frustration I share because when he says that, he's not talking about those leaps of faith I was talking about. He's talking about sudden death chasms, like fall down and die kind of pits. And Rich, I know you had a particular frustration that I shared with you, which was the train level. Yes. Um, where the train, oh, you're yeah. on a train car that kind of stops in the station and there's all these very sneaky death pits everywhere. So you can be hunting down these guys, brawling and battling for like 20 minutes and then you'll just jump wrong and fall and die. And it's like, Oh, and that is, that's a far that's level madness. too. Like that's a later level. So it, yeah, you it is. really have to stay mobile in that level. So I can definitely see why you got frustrated with that yeah that was the level i forgot to use the bfg 
<laughs> and just banging my head. That was one of two places that I got stuck for a long time. The other place was the first time you go to hell and you make that big jump and you, you drop down really far and you have to hit that double jump really quick toward the end of it to land it. Yeah. And oh, uh, yeah. I think it's that last big battle there in hell. That was the other part. And that's kind of what I was talking about with Josh. I would fall off that platform several times running around because it was just so chaotic and I knew I had to run away and be quick. But to go back to your point, Sean, about the train station, yeah, there's these little pits and they're like electrified. And oh my gosh, I mean, there's so many difficult enemies that are just bombarded on top of you in such a tight, confined space. And to be able to fall into those pits is just further like agonizing. Very true. Well, let's get into the real meat of the gameplay, which is shooting. (laughs) (laughs) So, as we've been saying, this is a first-person shooter, and it pays tribute to previous games in the series. So, a lot of the weapons are very familiar, but they found ways to tweak them and make them feel new and innovative. And I actually made a list I wouldn't usually do this, but as we were kind of alluding to, this game really makes you use all the weapons. And we don't have to comment deeply on every single weapon, but I actually listed them all. And maybe we could name our favorites or something. But So you start with a pistol with infinite ammo, which is a staple for many first-person shooters. Gotta have that. So you have a shotgun, a super shotgun, heavy assault rifle, chain gun, plasma rifle, the Gauss cannon, a rocket launcher. And then you also have, Rich mentioned the BFG and also the chainsaw, but those are kind of special weapons, let's say. They're not in your weapon wheel that you can just pull them out and start shooting away with the BFG. They're kind of like special use cases. Exactly. And they're mapped that way on your controller too, which is awesome. I love that. Right. The ammo is very limited, and the chainsaw for its gas is very limited. So yeah, actually, I'm looking at this list, and it's kind of hard to pick a favorite, but I definitely leaned on the heavy assault rifle a lot, and I fully upgraded the missile, because it shoots these like six or eight guided missiles at Mm -hmm. the enemies, and there's a final upgrade called endless missiles or infinite missiles or something where you can just hold down both buttons and it just shoots all missiles until you run out of ammo. So (laughs) I loved that too. Yeah. I really found myself leaning on that weapon a lot, but I also like the Gauss cannon because I just felt it was really powerful. Like it was a real showstopper. So, uh, yeah. What about you guys, Travis? How about your, your favorite weapons? Um, I'll probably second, your uh, heavy assault rifle thing, it's not so great in its, you know, standard form. But yeah, once you upgrade it a few times, it becomes really powerful. Surprisingly, I didn't use the Gauss Cannon at all, really, except to power it up to get a trophy or whatever. And I'm thinking maybe I should use it more because it is really powerful. So maybe it could have helped me out more than it did. The one kind of thing about that gun is it's a stand-in for a sniper rifle, and this is not really a game where you can do a lot of sniping. So right. I could see, I could see I mean, why the head you would use it a lot. assault rifle has a snipe attachment. True, true, it does. Um, but I, I felt this was, you know, the Gauss cannon to me was like just kind of like an elephant gun. Like I just pulled it out <laughs> when I was in trouble and yeah. just tried to kill the thing in front of me that was charging at me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so what about you, Rich? 
I use the Gauss cannon a lot, actually. Those floating blobs. I can't remember what they're called. Cacodemons. Um, you know, they're, yeah, they're from the original game, which I thought was cool, you know, to bring those back. They're tough in this one. Yeah, man. Uh, you can just hit them one time with that if you've upgraded it to the, um, to the portion where you can kind of zoom in with it. Uh, you can just take those out with one hit with that. So that's really nice. And I always switched off to that. But, man, I got to tell you, my favorite gun in this game, that super shotgun. Yeah. Love it. Nice. I love running around <laughs> and just like just running up on people, just full blast and boom, just up close. Basically, the closer you are to something, the more damage that demon takes. If you're further away, it's not going to take as much damage. So I felt that for a lot of the game, I was fighting in really close quarters. And so that shotgun would do quite a bit of damage. And I could just hit something with a few blasts from the shotgun and get it down to where it was glowing, you know, to go in for a glory kill. And I found that sort of the best way for me to go through the game. The only problem with it being that usually with the shotgun, you don't get as many shells. Plus, that weapon is, I think, the only one that has to reload, right? Yes. Um, it has a couple power-ups where you can speed up that load animation, but that sounds right, yeah. I will say, though, that I found myself using the Super Shotgun not nearly as much as I did in previous Doom games, which surprised me. But I think part of that is because, going back to the balance of the gameplay, um, I feel like the ammo that you get is balanced enough that you don't ever get quite enough ammo to where you're comfortable <laughs> with the ammo that you yeah. have. So, And because it was so difficult, every time I was using like a Super Shotgun or something and I missed, it was like crap because that's yeah. two shells just wasted yeah and when the ammo is as rationed as it is it's just like it was just heartbreaking to miss a shot with that super shotgun well i think we should explain while we're here because they're an important part of the gameplay loop and also like i said they're secondary weapons the bfg the chainsaw and also what a glory kill actually is <laughs> so the gameplay loop here is that you Shoot away until an enemy is weak. And the way it's signified is it starts flashing blue. If it starts flashing orange, then the stun effect is going to go away and you're going to have to shoot it more. But if you can get up close while it's flashing blue, you can do a finishing move, basically. And uh, this is where we see all the these gory things like thumbs getting stuck in eyeballs and <laughs> skulls getting ripped apart and all this amazingly gory, awesome stuff. But that's one way to get health. And in the heat of a battle, as Travis was talking about before, that's your main gameplay loop. And sometimes having a weaker enemy near you is almost like a, ooh, I got to get that guy. It's like a lifesaver. Like, I need health. Come over here. You know what I mean? So Yeah, because there's um, there's a couple frames in there while you're doing the glory kill that you don't take damage. So that's another right. reason to get that glory kill when you can. Yes. And so, and then the chainsaw is a one-hit kill melee weapon that makes the enemy spawn tons of ammo. Then the bigger the enemy, the more ammo you get, or at least that's what it seemed like to me. But the bigger the enemy, the more gas it uses. Right. I was just going to say that. So you have to kind of pick your spots with the chainsaw because it is an instant kill and it will kill any non-boss enemy uh, in one hit. But for the bigger enemies, you have to have uh, a lot of gas. And then the BFG, which is, uh, you know, famous in Doom. 
uh, it was in the original Doom, and it's so awesome that they, I mean, they had to bring it into this one. And that will pretty much kill everything on the screen. Not always everything, but it will kill many, many of the enemies on the screen, if not all of them. And as Rich was alluding to before, it's really, it can really turn the tables on a fight that's getting to you, you know? So what this all distills down to is a really awesome, I keep using the word gameplay loop, but there's no better word for it, where like Travis said, you you have to be aggressive, but you also have to always keep moving because like Rich said, the enemies are just totally relentless, but you got to get health and you got to get more ammo. Ammo is somewhat scarce. There are ammo pickups like kind of randomly in the world, but they really make you have to work for it by using the chainsaw. So that's where the kind of energy of this game comes from, is that you have to be running around shooting, jumping, dodging, (laughs) avoiding, uh, and then also doing the glory kills, doing the chainsaw stuff. I mean, I think this is why people like this game so much. Also, we shouldn't understate the absence of regenerating health here. This was something that they did in the Wolfenstein reboot as well. And I think it's a really good split of the genre to have these kinds of games where it's not regenerating health. Because as you were saying, Travis, it creates an entirely different gameplay experience. So yeah, that is how all those things tie together. That was very general, but if either one of you has any like further comments on that, go for it. No, you pretty much nailed it. Um, okay. Yeah, but I mean, it, <laughs> on, the, on the higher difficulty levels, it's just so fast and furious that you need to get really good at that gameplay loop just to even stay alive. It's very clear that's the kind of game they were intending to make. I believe it. Yeah, and they did a great job with it, too. I mean, like... With the glory kills, with alternating that, you know, with chainsaw, you know, with the BFG, it creates this really, really fast paced game. And like you said, it is a loop, but everything that they've done with this game, including the music, which I know we'll talk about later, just amps everything up and makes it an exciting bloodbath of a game that uh, just draws you in and just keeps you going. And once you do some of those, um, uh, what are they called? The You go into the bonus stages. The rune challenges? The runes, yeah. yeah. Once once you do a couple of rune challenges, there's a couple of them there that let you speed up the animations. One will make enemies stay in their staggered glory kill state longer. Um, there's another one that will speed up the actual glory kill animation. And then there's another one that uh, will let you initiate a glory kill from further away. So if you have all three of those runes powered up and, and on at one time... Man, you can just plow through a room of enemies like nothing. I'm going to take a wild guess here that Travis is the only one that completed a room challenge in this game. <laughs> because they are abusively difficult. They are very hard. They are easier on the PC than they are on console, I will say. Yeah, have to be. Yeah, I didn't pass a single one. <laughs> no, <laughs> didn't even get close. <laughs> Some of them are worth it, though. So. Yeah, they seem like they were, but... <laughs> sounds like it (laughs) I mean there's one that you can get that when it's powered up as long as you have 100 armor which doesn't happen too often but as long as you have 100 armor you have unlimited ammo so they're tough but worth it cool so there are a couple other 
elements of the gameplay. We do. We just talked about the rune challenges. We also have suit upgrades that you can get, and these are just another thing that you find throughout the world that you actually take off of um, deceased kind of Doom Marines suits and put them on your own suit, which is kind of, a, again, a cool way to find them, a cool contextual animation and all that other stuff, very in in lore, you know. Those do things like increase your max ammo, increase your defense and your overall health, or your shields is the right word, and your overall health. And resistance to environment sometimes, like if something explodes near you or right. you know, if you fall into pits and things like that, you can uh, lower the damage that you take. So that's kind of nice. Right, right. Now for me, I kept going for ammo because I was feeling, even with the chainsaw, that I had to like keep maxing out my ammo. I don't know. By the end, everything was balanced anyway. Uh, did you guys have any, any kind of strategies with the suit things? Uh, I went straight for the health right away. Um, okay. And then and then I think I went armor after that. And then by the time I got that far, it was to the point where I needed the ammo. So that was what I went for last. Makes sense. Yeah, and we're talking about two different types of suit upgrades. There were the things that you pulled off of the Space Marines, like the little key cards that you could upgrade your suit with. And then there were the orbs oh, right. as well that you could upgrade your suit with. And that was where you upgraded either your armor, your health, or your max ammo. You're right. Those are like permanent buffs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed both of those things. I thought they were really well integrated into the game and definitely gave you the ability to customize, much like you did with your weapons. So you're able to customize offensively and defensively, which I think was a a nice choice by the developers. Cool. So the map system, I don't know what you want to comment about that because I... I didn't really use any kind of maps. That I don't. I don't think at oh, really? all. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to sound ignorant, but I didn't really use maps in this game. I'm guessing you did, Rich. Yeah, I did. I, I used maps in this game. Uh, there are certain points where I did get a little turned around on some of the larger levels. So you basically open up your map by pressing the um, touchpad, and you could like view areas that you hadn't explored yet. So. You know, you could kind of know if you needed to go north, south, east, or west and put yourself sort of in the right direction. But back to Sean's point where he said he didn't have to use them, and I think he brings up a great point, is I think this game does a good job with using the green lighting that we mentioned before in the platforming to get to certain areas to lead you to where you're supposed to go. I never used a walkthrough for this game. Never had to. I never got to a point where I got stuck like I do with a lot of games. And so... I think that's a big hats off to the designers of this game. Now, if you're looking for things like secret items, which are put throughout the game, then it'll give you a basic idea where those are located. So if you're going for trophies and things like that, which, you know, Travis obviously does, that's a good system to use, right? Yeah, um, the map was super helpful for that, especially considering one of the fursuit upgrades I got were the power-ups that showed you where all the secrets were on your map. So if you do that right from the start of the level, you know where all the secrets are. So then the fun becomes, okay, I know the secrets over here. How do I get there? Because that was the most interesting part for me is just like figuring out how do I get around this or how the hell do I get up there? So how about the checkpointing system? I'm a big fan of good checkpointing. And I think this game, for the most part, had pretty good checkpointing. But I'm going to tell you there were times when I, I mean, 
this is true of games like this where you clear 99 out of 100 bad guys and then fall off a pit or you didn't know he was there and he gets you and you have to do the whole damn room over again and that that can be a real frustration but i completely understand it it wouldn't make sense to you can't checkpoint every single guy you kill so that's just part and parcel of of how these types of games work but uh I think, Rich, you probably had a comment about this because you, you put it in here. So what was your thoughts? Yeah, I just thought it was great. thought it was appropriate. I felt like even if I didn't make it through a room, I didn't have to backtrack a lot. Nothing seemed egregious as far as the checkpoint. And maybe to a certain extent might have been too good for what this game is trying to do. Now, is the checkpointing, is it the same as you play on a more difficult setting, Travis? Um, as far as I can tell, it is. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know if I would agree with you that it's quite that good, because there were plenty of times when I finished a room of demons and then went a little bit further into level and then died and had to do that room all over Uh, again. So Yeah, I did not experience that with the checkpointing that I had, so uh, maybe it's a little better uh, in the, um, the less difficult setting. And the other thing uh, Pam was saying in the comments recently, some of the checkpointing is such on the later levels that it kind of cuts you off from the beginning parts of the stages, um, which mm-hmm. was kind of unfortunate because those of us that do like to clear out a level and then go back for the secrets, there was a point in the later levels that we couldn't do that anymore. So that was kind of disappointing. Yeah, but you can go back into the levels and play them again, right? But do the... Yeah, but when the game's that hard, you don't want to do that. <laughs> okay, so so I'm taking it that all the demons reset when you go back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you can't just go treasure hunting. All Correct. right, gotcha. Let's talk about the boss battles in this game, because there were some comments on the thread, and I, I kind of thought that there were maybe not enough boss battles there's only two major ones, am I right? Like, there's the one where you fight the one guy with the shield, and you're like, all right, I did it. And then two more come out. <laughs> there's there's was... three. There's the Cyber Demon, those Hell Guards, and then the Spider Mastermind. But yeah, there should have been more. That would have been fun. Yeah, you don't really get a boss battle until three quarters of the way into the game, which yeah. I think is a little disappointing. But our buddy Josh... He said something that was quite interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on this. He said that when they would introduce new demons sometimes, that those would be sort of these mini-boss battles on your way to those big boss battles. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way to think about it, and I kind of understand what he's saying, but, you know, not quite sure I agree that they felt like boss battles, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can see what he's saying, because, like, the first time you meet a Mancubus, uh, the first time you meet a Pinky, it kind of zooms in and shows you, here's a new enemy type that looks fierce. So yeah. it does highlight that, but I agree with you, Rich. It didn't personally, to me, feel like that was, uh, like, a mini-boss type of thing. Yeah, I enjoyed the bosses. I had certainly my frustrations with them, but they were definitely challenging in a good way. I wasn't rage quitting or controller chucking at any point, which is good. Like, <laughs> you know me, I'm a baby and I want to just I want to just relax and have everything be easy. But every, <laughs> every once in a while, if it's like, you know, if it's a Saturday afternoon, let's say, and not like a weeknight after a hard day at work, then I'm ready for a challenge. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the one that was 
annoying me was the three guys in a row. You know, the guy with the yeah. shield was hard enough to beat, and then two more jump out after him. I was like, you got to be like, freaking kidding me. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, from a design standpoint, that was an awesome, shocking surprise. I was like, oh, man, I got to do this now. But luckily... <laughs> Luckily, the the two other dudes that jump out don't have shields, so they're, yeah. they're a little bit easier to manage. They um, keep you on your toes, though. That was, that was probably one of the two most intense battles I had during that entire game. You definitely have to keep moving, but you don't really have to learn the strategy that you do when you encounter the first one. And I'm kind of like you, Sean. I don't like to have these like really, really intensely tough boss battles, but I thought they did a good job of really keeping it fair, like... I don't think that I had to play any boss battle more than 20 times. (laughs) And I know that sounds like a lot, but if you think in the grand scale of, of things and like you actually having to learn a battle and kind of see what's going on, I don't think 20 times is an irrational number of how many times you should have to go up against the boss. I think a lot of people would disagree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know they would, but being a retro gamer and growing up playing these games, I mean, I would fight final bosses like hundreds of times, it seemed like, as a kid. And maybe maybe I'm over-exaggerating because I was young, but at that point, I had all the time in the world where I don't have that now in playing a game. So having to encounter a boss 20 times, you know, to figure out a pattern, and not all of them took that many times, but uh, I think that's very reasonable and fair. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to judge it. These bosses didn't roll over for me, so I'm not going to judge <laughs> that at all. I died plenty of times as well. So, yeah. Uh, I'm with you, yeah. Rich. It's just like pretty much the whole game. It felt like even at, when I was at my most frustrated, I never felt like I couldn't do it. And, right. and that's key. I think that's what differentiates challenge in a bad way and challenge in a good way. Yeah, so one of the things about the game is we have these rooms full of monsters and they get locked with you in them. And that's where (laughs) the funny catchphrase, demonic presence at unsafe levels. (laughs) levels. (laughs) So what is a safe level of demonic possession? (laughs) Are they different color codes, you know? (laughs) It means you got to find who you didn't kill yet, basically. But uh, most of the time, they'll find you or you're still in the heat of battle when you're hearing that. But you also have these things that are called gore nests. We'll have to talk about this because what I did is anytime I saw one, didn't care what else was going on, I went over and ripped it out. (laughs) Now, is that something that spawns more bad guys or what what is that? Okay, so that I've. I thought that's what it was, but I always went to them so quickly that I think it wasn't ever an issue for me. So did you guys have the same strategy? Uh, no. no, no. I typically cleared no. the room first and uh, you can kind of clear that room before you rip that thing out of the gore nest and uh, you can kind of replenish some health, maybe replenish some of your ammo, look around the room, find out where maybe there's power ups and things like that. And so, yeah, I use it as a time to kind of strategize because typically those rooms only had a few demons in them before you uh, go on that gore nest. And you knew that as soon as you ripped that thing out, it was it was going down.
All right, so now that we've wrapped up the gameplay pretty much, let's move into the graphics, music, and and all those other kind of nuts and bolts stuff that we love here. So most important thing about the graphics, did both of you (laughs) (laughs) pull an audible on you here? (laughs) No, do it. When you two played the game, did you play with the standard gun position where it was angled, or did you click the checkbox to move it to front and center like the old Doom style? Well... I didn't even know that that was an option. Yeah, me neither. I left it on the default, but that is very (laughs) intriguing. Yeah, there's an option to move it front and center like the old Doom. It was not like that when the game came out. They added it, I think, into the first patch like a couple weeks later. But as soon as I found out about that, it's like, oh, I'm playing old Doom style. That is pretty cool. I actually, I'm glad you brought in that little tidbit because I'm going to have to go try that now and (laughs) see what it looks like. So the game takes place on Mars and in hell, (laughs) as all the Doom games do. One of the things I liked about the graphics was that there was a real contrast between like sci-fi clean and sci-fi horror. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of like really good space station designs, almost like 2001 A Space Odyssey kind of stuff. And uh, there was this really stark contrast between like these glimpses of like sterility and cleanliness that you would expect in a lab on a space station mixed in with this just blood splatters and gore everywhere. So I thought that was really cool. And the graphics were pretty detailed when they needed to be in that respect. So did you guys notice that, that contrast at all? Um, I noticed it maybe not to the level that you did though, but thinking back on it now, yeah, I, I definitely, agree with you there and rich i know you're an old sci-fi fan so <laughs> you must have been taking note of some of this stuff yeah i was looking for hal 5000 as well because i was going through those yeah. uh, environments but i really like the diversity of the environments like mars there's indoor areas there's outdoor areas you know there's labs you go to hell you go to titan's realm it just felt like you were being transported to a new place all the time and it kept the game really fresh the landscape is beautiful. As you know, as I'm playing any game on the PS4, I'm always tweeting out pictures. You know, I'm, I'm always taking yeah. share shots. And uh, yeah, I took a ton while playing this game. You know, they'll just be like this cavern with this giant skull head with horns or something I'm like that. So cool. <laughs> I got to get a picture of that. You know, I felt captivated by the environments where I would just walk around and say, I got to snap a photo of this so people can see how beautiful this game really is, and um, it really did have a big effect on me, much more than most games that we've played. Awesome. Very cool to hear. Um, so what about the enemies? We had, actually, Travis probably knows exactly how many different enemies there are in this <laughs> game. I'm going to throw out maybe a dozen. like Something like that. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it is a lot. I mean, I don't think there's any enemies that are new. They're all enemies that have been in previous Doom games. Yeah, Um, Yeah, they're kind of like reimagined. Yeah, that's what stood out to me more than anything. It's not necessarily the number of enemies. It's just like how they kind of redid the art and animations. And they just made them look so cool. And they're much more mobile now than they were before. Yeah, for sure. Like, sometimes they've even changed the gameplay mechanics of the enemies. Like, the imp now, just like, they'll jump all over the arena, just kind of almost like an improv baseball throw the fireballs at you. 
The pinky demon, he's super armored toward the front. So if you try to attack him from the front, you're going to have a hard time with that. You need to kind of circle around to the back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just a lot of more enemies, they're more aggressive and they're, they've changed in some really interesting ways. Yeah. Yeah. Again, we'd be remiss if we didn't reiterate the goriness as well of dispatching these guys because it's just amazing. Some of the best gore I've ever seen in a video game and... It's great because it's horror gore. And we've talked about, uh, Rich, you and I have talked about, I don't want to say the ethics or the implications and make it like too heavy, but like killing humans in a video game, it's totally different. But killing hell demons in a video game, it's like, hell yeah, give me gallons of blood. Give me buckets of blood. You know what I mean? Give me bone fragments and pus and the most disgusting, gory stuff you can throw (laughs) on the screen. That's what I want to see. Well, and it's so cartoony in nature, too, because it's like the most ultra-violent thing you can think of, right? It's completely ridiculous. Okay, so I played a lot of this game with my toddler, my two-year-old, around. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to win 2018's Father of the Year. Um, but with a two-year-old, they don't understand what's going on. They don't know anything about this stuff, so it's fine. We would walk around, and he would just say, Daddy, play Doom. Daddy, play Doom. You know? I <laughs> loved it. Awesome. Uh, and my uh, older kids were gone. My in-laws had them for like a week and a half. And they finally came home as I was finishing the game, and they sat down and watched me play. My son's seven, daughter's ten. And, you know, it's animated cartoon violence. They understand. We talk about these things. And uh, my son was like, Cool. And my daughter was like, oh, my God, Mom, he just sawed a guy's leg off and then went right through his head with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Those chainsaw kills are the best. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, it, it's really neat. And what I really like about it is your glory kill a lot of times depends on the position which you approach the demon. The different demons all have a different way because of their body structure and everything, a way that you can kill them. There's tons of different animations to keep it fresh that you can actually like jump off ledges or jump up and you know hit the glory kill button and you know i think it's called like death from above or something like that you can just do all these different types of glory kills and uh yeah they look fantastic kid approved <laughs> <laughs> very cool so having said that rich what's with this b- PS4 cover <laughs> I art. Know, man. <laughs> and mine has a Walmart edition sticker on it too. Uh, so well, what's here's your where beef I'm gonna drop it? another one on you guys. Did you know that's a reversible cover? It is. It's reversed now. As soon as yeah. I found that out, it's like I'm switching this cover yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, and that was a brilliant <laughs> strategy. I think there was some reason that they did that, but man, that original PS4 cover, I mean it looks like Halo. I hate it. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but so, and then yeah. you flip it over and then you look at like what the switch got. You see that like there's demons like just crawling on like mounds of bodies and you know the space marines. Yeah. It's like classic surround. Doom title screen. Uh, yeah, dude, the way it should be. It's like Boris Vallejo, like the best like fantasy art stuff you know you <laughs> ever see. It's so cool. I love it. So yeah, I definitely have flipped my cover art over. If you're out there listening, you haven't done that yet. What are you waiting for? Get rid of that horrible artwork. <laughs> I just had to mention it, man. Yeah, but at the reversible side doesn't have the blue PS4 logo on the oh, spine. So, like my. Worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. 
for my mental stability. I don't know. <laughs> Even a non-greatest hit snob like myself that will not take a greatest hits PS1 disc can put up with that for a cooler cover. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Yeah, I'll have to give it a try. Um, give it a look. See if it uh, <laughs> explore the space. If it's very feng shui for you. <laughs> All right. I promise I will do that. Let's go ahead and move into the music and sound, because that's actually a big part of this game. And, you know, I am notorious for saying, eh, I, didn't, I don't know what music. I didn't notice it. Like, every every month I'm saying some variation of that. <laughs> well, I didn't hate it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it was sufficient. That's our word, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was sufficient. exactly. Uh. <laughs> but in this game... Mick Gordon composed the music, and he's a very well-known video game music composer for quite a while. He was working for Pandemic back in the day. He did Destroy All Humans. He did the reboot of Killer Instinct, and he's done the Wolfenstein reboot games, and he also did Doom. So anyway, professional video game composer, but he's doing this kind of metal industrial sound on doom and let me tell you it is freaking awesome it's really cool man <laughs> <laughs> so i mentioned on the forum that i love what i would call dark synth sounds just like old nine inch nails or you know ministry or there's there's so many old industrial sounding bands and metal bands and even now there's kind of a a little bit of a resurgence of that in the rap world. I mentioned Danny Brown uses this kind of sound a lot. And it's just this dark, like, drilling into your skull kind of sound. And it's just amazingly, brutally beautiful. So I got to say, this is one of the rare times I'm going to say the music in this game was fantastic. And I was into it the whole time. Yeah, Rich, I'll, I'll go to you because I know you're, uh, we have a, musical tastes that tend to overlap a lot so what, what do you think about this soundtrack yeah i think this is the kind of soundtrack where like with a lot of games that we play it just kind of falls into the background you can just ignore it i feel like purposefully in this game they won't let you ignore it <laughs> you know what i mean right. that makes sense it, it's really awesome it's really just pumping and you know being like a, a fan of metal like i am Oh, man, it's awesome. I love the way, you know, it's kind of quiet and then you walk into a room and you just hear the rise in music and you're just like, oh, shit, here it comes. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's really well integrated into the game and man, super well done. And I do want to mention that it just came out on vinyl like last week, which will be, you know, a, f a few more weeks later if you're listening to this podcast. So, um, yeah, you should definitely pick up a copy of that. So, Travis, you can give us your thoughts on the music, but also I think you watched some making of videos of the soundtrack. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about those as well. Yeah, I did. Um, I'm with you guys. I was 100% into this music. Um, you know, you get to the quiet levels, like in the Lazarus Labs or something, it's just like real slow and ominous. And then once it ramps up with the synth and the distorted bass and everything, it plays into the whole aggression gameplay where the music, like you said, Rich, the point is to know it's there. It's supposed to help drive you forward into the gameplay. But yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff out there now on the music. 
Mick Gordon himself on his YouTube page, he put up a little short two-part making of documentary. They're only about a few minutes each. Um, he's done a PAX panel. He's done a GDC panel that gets into the real nerdy, technical nitty-gritty of how he created it. But it was just fascinating listening to how he kind of put the different sounds together and the different synthesizers he used. One of the synthesizers he found, he said, was like an old Russian synthesizer from the 80s. In his words, he described it as super over-engineered and heavy as hell. But it had some really unique sounds that he was able to get out of it. Um, for some of the metal stuff, he found like this monstrous nine string guitar just to get the low enough guitar sound for some of the metal stuff. It's really, really interesting. And if you're into this music, I encourage you to check out some of those videos. That's awesome. I definitely will. So yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> I can't emphasize enough. <laughs> like I'm excited to have music that I like in a game to talk about. And the soundtrack is on Spotify and Google play now too. Oh so, man, I, I know I what I'm listening to at work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So there are a couple of other gameplay features we should mention real quick before we get into our final thoughts. Actually, they're, they're not so much features as they are different game modes, and those would be the multiplayer and the snap map. And the snap map is like user-created levels and scenarios and while I did not try the multiplayer, I did play a couple of these, and I would say they're pretty cool. I didn't complete any of them. I kind of just dabbled in a couple of them because they have a user voting, like a community voting system on them. So you could see like the highlighted top voted ones. And um, I should also mention real quick that you can replay any of the levels in arcade mode, which is where you're running around seeing numbers pop off of the, of the demons as you <laughs> play and right. you only have one life and a limited amount of time or whatever. Um, so that's a good, that's a good way to give it replay value. So we'll start with Travis. Did you try any of these other modes, multiplayer, snap map or arcade style? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's I've fine. been playing the game for two years. I have not touched it <laughs> no i understand that i it's it's totally understandable i wasn't even going i would i would have had no problem not doing that but i just kind of wanted more like i wanted to see what it was like but look there are people who buy every call of duty game and don't play the campaign to the point where they're not even putting campaigns in them anymore so that's what happens uh rich how about you oh resounding no yeah, didn't, didn't try any okay. of them out. It does sound <laughs> like, uh, just from the way you're mentioning it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like Mario Maker, where you make the different worlds and people get to kind of upvote it, downvote it on these snap maps. Is that correct? Right. I think that's how it works. Oh, that's that's cool. how it looked to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's neat, yeah it was dude. pretty neat. I didn't do it, but that's really fascinating for people who are really into the game and really like it a lot. A lot of games don't give you these extras, you know? You just play through the campaign, so... For people that love Doom, that's a great kind of incentive and reward. Yeah. I'm kind of curious at how popular it is because it's it definitely not the main attraction, but it is neat that they kind of stuck it in there. So it's like, I wonder if people are playing it a whole lot. Yeah. Well, give it a shot. I didn't finish any of them, but I think if I went back after a certain amount of time, I might enjoy them. I think what was happening was 
the game is so backloaded. And as we talk about the end of the game and uh, like I had a few frustrations with the end of the game to just go back into more of that. I, I wasn't seeing the forest for the trees kind of. I was just like, oh, geez, more demons to kill rather than because some of them have these like stories that they wrote for these little vignettes of gameplay that they're giving you. So I know there's something there. I just wasn't like mentally ready for it. You know what I mean? So I think after you put the game down for a while, go back and try some of those snap map levels. I would recommend that. about the ending of the game real quick because it does end on a cliffhanger story wise and it just barely started to test my patience with the rooms <laughs> after rooms after rooms and it was almost hitting kind of a rinse and repeat kind of thing where it was really the gameplay loop kind of coming to a head and it was climaxing basically you're taking everything you learned and you're fighting these escalating waves of every enemy to get this scepter. I forget, what, what is that thing called? Crucible. Yeah, you got to get the crucible to yeah. close the portals or something. I don't remember. But. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's, right. it's the Doom guy. He doesn't care. Yeah, it seems like they were throwing up a lot of crazy story at you toward the end of the game. To, right. Oh, you need to go do this or... Oh, you need to shut this down. There was always like some dire circumstance toward the end that required your immediate attention, which was not the most interesting thing story-wise, I didn't think. Right. And then they leave the game on a complete cliffhanger because Samuel Hayden takes the crucible from you at the end. And apparently this, you know, it's a very powerful thing, as you see when you're using it. And I don't mean using it as a weapon or anything. It's just all contextual cutscene kind of stuff. I mean, he kind of activates it and yeah, almost he, turns it into kind of a weapon because he does something with it and it kind of extends out into almost like a light sword kind of a thing. 
Right, exactly. And that's that's a real tease too. Not only is that a cliffhanger, but you see that and you're like, Oh, I want to use that. That now this game yeah. is like Halo, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he just takes it from you and I forget what he says, but it's basically like you've served your purpose and we will meet again kind of thing. So um Let's just talk real quick about that final ramp up. If you want to call it a difficulty spike, I totally am on board with that. And then how you feel with the cliffhanger and would you play a a sequel that is obviously going to happen? Travis. Uh, Yeah, that last level was pretty absurd. I had a lot of fun throughout the whole game, but that last level is just like wave after wave after wave after wave. It's relentless and it does get fatiguing. Um, so it was a relief when I finally got done with that level, but then you got to fight the spider mastermind, which is intense itself. So that last level almost was too much, but if it hadn't ended there, then it would have been kind of overstaying its welcome, I feel like, but that was the extent of it. Uh, as far as the ending, um, it was a little unsatisfying because it was so short and ambiguous. But I did like that it left it open for another game, and they did tease the next sequel at E3 recently, so I was pretty excited about that. Because um, cool. I mean, Dr. You know, Samuel Hayden, throughout the entire game, he's been trying to talk to the Doom Marine, like, we can control this while still saving this energy technology, but the Doom guy is just like, nope, don't care, smashing everything. So it's pretty clear from that ending... Hayden kind of knew you were uncontainable and he had planned for it. So it was a little disappointing at how short it was. But yeah, I like that we're going to get another game out of it. Awesome. Now, Rich, it just popped into my head. I want your answer to both of those questions as well. But did you get the same kind of vibes as in the end of Diablo, where the enemies just keep coming and coming and coming? And you're like, how many of these damn things do I have to kill? Like, just let this end, please. And I don't mean that not in a bad way. Actually, I'm going to walk that back a little because that makes it sound like I wasn't enjoying it. The way I just said that was how I felt about Diablo. I did not feel that way about Doom, but I was getting there. Let's just say that. So (laughs) did it remind you of that? And uh, what are your general thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, as far as length of the game, I did feel like it overstayed its welcome a bit. And I think that there's a reason for that, which I'll kind of point to in my final thoughts. But yeah, at that point, I was just kind of like, let this thing just end, let's get this over with, around the last few levels. I felt like, you know, more and more was being added to the story. And like I said, you know, oh, there's this dire event, I have to go do this, I have to go do that. It seems like it maybe could have wrapped up a little bit earlier. But at the same time, if it had, I think people would have complained that they weren't getting their money's worth as far as the length of this game. But I do think that story-wise, there could have been some things done to um, keep you more interested and to kind of peek out that ending of the game, which I, I just kind of felt like you guys did, that you're just going through a gauntlet of enemies just to get to a final boss, which didn't have the most exciting payoff, in my opinion. Now, did you guys go into the uh, the logs at all, the codex, and read any of that stuff? I did a little bit here and there, but I never, I'm really not good at paying attention to that stuff. What kind of good lore can you tell us about from those briefly if anything it mostly just kind of fleshed out the backstory of the company itself and the demons 
Um, it actually is pretty humorous the further you go into it. Okay. It just gives the story a little bit more depth, but also leans way into the um, self-awareness of it all. That sounds cool, actually. I mean, the presentation of a game is what conveys the story to me the most, if that makes sense. Like, sure. I don't I don't usually glean a lot of extra context from all the audio logs and like in Skyrim, there's literally books that you can read, like multiple page books. Right. I mean, in reality, there are probably a couple of paragraphs, but the fact that they took the time to do this and put this in the game, <laughs> aside from being kind of an astonishing thing, it's just like, I'm not going to read this, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for fans, I think it's a fantastic idea and a fantastic thing to do, but for someone like me who just wants to play the main campaign of the game, I'm not going to go back and read these logs or put a lot of effort into reading something from a video game. If it were a book, obviously I would take the time to read it, but uh, I, I don't tend to do that with video games. And, you know, that's just preference on my part. Okay. Right. Fair enough. All right. So let's roll into some of our final thoughts. And as usual, we're trying to uh, get final thoughts from the community first and foremost. And we got some good ones here. So let's start with Metal Fro. He says... The reboot of Doom takes the original formula in an interesting new direction. It's fast, frantic, intense, and a white-knuckle experience from the very first enemy encounter. The new enemies provide variety, and the large cast of returning enemies up the ante, with much more speed and aggression than the first two games provided, and the platforming elements brought a whole new dimension to the classic formula. The game's soundtrack, a mixture of industrial and gent, kept pace with the mood of the game. From the more ambient droning during fights and during exploration sequences, while high-octane metal segments heighten the anticipation of battles, and as the number and strength of foes intensifies, so does the music. The graphics are amazing, even on the Switch version, and the overall experience is definitely worth the ride. The game begins to overstay its welcome slightly at the end, and the sheer number of enemies you have to dispatch before the final boss encounter is a bit ludicrous, but honestly, I am happy to have played through this game, and it's making me even more excited to pick up Wolfenstein 2 as soon as I can. So, good thoughts, Metal Fro. As you can see, he kind of agrees with a lot of what we said and uh, it's cool that he was into the music, too, and kind of agrees with us on the whole ending wave of enemies. And now moving on to our good friend Pam. She had a final thought here, and she says, Doom quickly became one of my favorite games ever after I first played it in 2016. I love how streamlined it is. No reloading, no cover, just constant movement, fun weapons, and the most satisfying strafing. The Cyber Demon is one of the best boss fights in any game. The first time I saw him, I emptied my BFG into him in the first phase, not realizing there was a second phase. That second phase and all the movement it requires is so good, though. On my current playthrough, I've been trying to gather all the collectibles. I've got some mixed thoughts on that. I like to clear out the level and then go back and find everything, which works at first. But in later levels, you often get cut off from the beginning of the levels, and it's not always obvious when that is happening. I've had to restart levels a number of times because I was unable to get back to a collectible. 
that's no fun. It's definitely better to play in the moment than worry about finding everything. I also just got my shipping notification for the new double vinyl of the soundtrack. That's great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that's from Pam. And once again, this is awesome to have this kind of participation. And we, I love reading these things. And yeah. um, it's, it's really cool to include this in the show. So let's get into our own final thoughts here, and we'll just keep going in the order we're doing. I'm going to kick it to Travis as our guest. Give us your final thoughts on Doom here. Uh, well, that's pretty obvious, I think. I-, I could spend an hour gushing on this game. I was skeptical of it at first. Like, if you'd asked me in 2016, how would I make a good modern Doom game? I would have had no idea. I didn't think it was possible, but five minutes after I played this game... I was 100% on board. Everything about this game they tell you about in the first five minutes. In that time, you've killed a demon. You've gotten a sense of the irreverent tone of it. It's self-awareness. You've seen the glory kills. You've seen how aggressive the enemies are. So by the time that elevator opens up on that first level, and you've heard that metal soundtrack, you pretty much know everything about this game. You've seen a vertical slice of all it has to offer. And by then, I was 110% on board. It's like, I like what this game is doing. Let's go. And the smile didn't really leave my face until I'd completed the game. Everything about the aggressive combat, the upgrades, I was skeptical of those at first as well. But all the upgrades, they don't get in the way of what makes Doom so great. And the fact that the developers understand Doom enough to where they could choose the right things to keep about classic Doom while giving it more depth and strategy in the meantime without getting in the way of the good stuff about the old game is just outstanding. Everything about this game I loved. Um, Some of the death pit deaths were super frustrating does start to overstay its welcome a little bit toward the end of the game with that final level, but I that's just minor blips on my radar. Um, I didn't even touch the multiplayer. I did not care that I did not touch the multiplayer because the rest of the game is so meaty and full. I Yeah, I'm still playing it two years later, and I think it's fantastic. I, I had a big maniacal grin on my face when they announced a sequel at E3, and I can't wait. That is awesome. Rich, final thoughts? Yeah, I think if you were to like caption a newspaper headline for this game, it would read something like, Bethesda breathes life into an old license. And I think that's the best way to describe it. I really didn't know what to expect in playing this, and as you know, I'm not a big fan of first-person shooter games, but I really enjoyed my time with this game. I think everything they did was so well done, and... I feel like they're not only breathing life into an old license, but they're kind of breathing life into that first-person shooter genre, which I know there's a lot of those out there, but it just seems like there's so much love and care put into this. And I think even if you've never played the original Doom before, I think you can just kind of pick up this rebranded game and have a blast with it. And maybe this will help interest some younger gamers to maybe go back and check out those old games and kind of see where it got its start. And I think we always can use, you know, more of that attitude in the gaming world so that we don't lose sight of these old titles and license. But um, 
I agree with everyone in the fact that I do think this game overstays its welcome. And I really was expecting, and, and you might have read this on the forums, I thought maybe there might be some twist at the end. And I guess there is, you know, in the very end with Samuel Hayne, but I kind of thought there might be some big reveal at the end, and I kind of felt like the story needed something like that. At the front of the game, it's really story-heavy, and then you get it at the end of the game, but sort of that middle piece, I felt like there was a lot of story lacking, other than kind of the history of the Doom Slayer, which I did like, but sort of the overall story of what's kind of happening currently, I felt like I could have used a little more of. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about that I really appreciated in the game was the comedy. And I know that's kind of funny to say, like, comedy, really? Like, in a gore fest In game? a Doom game. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. But like you mentioned, like, at the beginning where you, you've got this, you know, super attitude where you're just, like, destroying stuff. And then I love the holograms inserted throughout the game. And I think one of them says at one time, harvesting demons for a better tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I just love that. I thought it was so comical. It reminds me of uh, movies like Total Recall. Yes. And, Starship uh, Troopers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that attitude, and I love that tongue-in-cheek dark comedy. But yeah, I, I thought everything about this game was well done, from the graphics to the music to the gameplay. Really, the only knock on it I had was the story. And I think that's more of a personal thing for me because I am really into the story of games. I love games as a narrative, but I think most people playing this game would not be as concerned as I am with it. So, yeah, overall, great job. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll be looking at first-person shooters a little bit differently now. Very good. I mean, there's not much more I can add to what you two guys just said. I also well, We're just... going to make it. So. <laughs> okay, I'll do my best. Um <laughs> I like your thing about Bethesda breathing life into a, an old property or wh however you said it, because they kind of did it twice here. They, they really mm -hmm. had a one-two punch that kind of echoes the one-two punch that I was talking about in 1992 and 1993 with the original Wolfenstein 3D and Doom by purchasing id software and uh, having id develop Doom after they had Machine Games develop Wolfenstein The New Order. So here, once again, in the 21st century, we have a Wolfenstein 3D and a Doom game come out. So yeah, hats off to Bethesda for handling the properties like pretty awesomely. And as far as Doom 2016 goes... I mean, again, it's going to be hard for me to not just echo what's being said here, but I, I just really like the running around going crazy aspect of the game. I really appreciated that because I haven't done it a lot lately, but I, I used to complain a lot about like modern game design and the mechanics that are used over and over and over again in so many games that it just almost becomes like a copy paste of AAA titles being all the same. And there's... It's still happening, and there's still plenty of smart people commentating on that, but um, it's not something I've talked about in a long time, but I still think about it a lot. So to play a game like this, that is, as Travis said, it's kind of a blend of modern technology as far as first-person shooter controls and the graphics and everything else, blended with kind of old-school gameplay, so no regenerating health and not even reloading on your on your guns most of the time so 
I really enjoyed all those aspects of the game and I highly recommend it. This definitely gets my seal of approval or thumbs up or whatever you want to call it. I usually just say recommend or don't recommend and I definitely recommend this game. So that's where we're at. I don't think anybody in the, in the thread really disliked it. Oh yeah, so this game was very well received in general. Like, So it's no surprise that our forum members all liked it, that we all liked it. Um, it has in general an, an aggregate metacritic score in the high 80s which is pretty good for a modern first person shooter that is not called call of duty all right rich you can talk about what we're currently playing in august and then i'll tell everybody what we're playing in september all right so as i mentioned last month join us in august for die hard arcade for the saturn and dynamite cop for the dreamcast these are both more modern beat-em-up games as in comparison to what we've played in the past, and actually the first games that we've played for the Saturn or for the Dreamcast since we've been doing the playthroughs. So, uh, yeah, if you like beat 'em up action, be sure to join us this August for games that are, you know, basically one-sitters and should be a lot of fun. And that's appropriate, too, because it's uh, Die Hard the Movie's 30th anniversary this year. And that's why we're doing it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. we knew that. <laughs> and in september we've been teasing this and threatening and promising for years that we would play a telltale game on this show because we've played every other competitor to telltale we've played you know life is strange and all the quantic dream games and even oxen free i would count as just a narrative choose your own adventure type of game but we've never played a telltale game but we're about to, because in September, we're going to play Telltale's Batman Season 1. So grab that game. It does have a physical release as well as, of course, a downloadable release, which I forget if it was PlayStation Plus or Xbox Games with Gold, if not both. But check your download queue. You might already have it, if not Steam, PC, or whatever. But um, it should be a very easy game and a cheap game to get your hands on. So yeah, Telltale Batman in September. All right, so we're going to wrap it up here. But Travis, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. And I want to give you a chance to tell everybody just either what you're working on or where they can find you on the internet or any final words uh, that you want to leave us with. Yeah, thank you guys. This was a blast. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, anytime you guys need to fill in for something, uh, I'm happy to come on. But uh, for myself, as far as social media goes, I don't quite have the Twitter presence I once did. Like you've said in the past, Sean, Twitter has gotten kind of uh, toxic recently, so I've been kind of toning down my presence there. But I still manage to get a few things out every now and then. I'm Zofar53 on Twitter. Me and some friends have a couple side podcasts that we do. The one is Implied Nerdity. Um, it's more of like a general pick a few news stories and talk about them kind of a thing. Some video game stuff, some just more general. The other one they do is Lacking Initiative. That is a um, D&D podcast that they do. I'm mostly a fill-in on occasion kind of guest. And right now, though, podcasts are on a bit of a hiatus. The, the two people that head up that podcast, they're about to have a daughter. Um, That'll do and it. And they just, yeah, <laughs> that and for lacking initiative, they just lost their DM. So they have to find a new DM. But uh, 
once they've taken care of baby obligations and uh, finding a new DM, those podcasts will be back. So that's where you can find me on occasion. Awesome. And on RF Gen, of course. <laughs> yes, of course. On the front page and in the forums. Yes. Thanks for listening and thank you for participating in the playthrough. An extra special thanks to Zofar53 for joining us in this discussion. In August, we will once again don the cape and cowl as we strike fear into the hearts of criminals everywhere with Telltale's version of Batman, an episodic adventure available on most 7th and 8th generation consoles as well as PC and mobile devices. We will be checking out the first season, so join us on the forums at rfgeneration.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next month on the Playcast. to pickups um travis why don't we start with you since you're our guest One sec. are you all right all right Rich, don't die <laughs> so get some water <coughs> well, there's the first thing to make the blooper real <laughs> and so these are the three titles that we will be playing in december those are neo turf masters and that will be on the I'm sorry, guys. I'm struggling tonight. I don't know what's going on with me. I did get pretty hammered last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let me do fro. Froze is really long. All right. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awesome. Now, Travis, you 
you had some you watched some making video well first of all sorry let me let me back up a little <laughs> so travis give us our get, <laughs> hold on <laughs> god <laughs> idiot <laughs> so if you were to like caption a newspaper headline for this game it would read something to the effect of bethesda breaks hold on I can't even read what I'm written down here. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, I'm losing my mind. I should probably start that section over. Go for it, that. dude. We're almost yeah, there. Sorry. Dude. Sorry about do the that. the Macho Man voice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You baby, the cream will rise to the top. <laughs> That's great. I'm glad I recorded that. Hey, tell me, what do you want to watch Daddy play? I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Doom. <laughs> I like Doom. I like Doom. You like Doom? Yeah. Daddy, play Doom. <laughs> Daddy, play Doom.